Don't ask me what I feel about myself. Ask me what I know about God. Ask me what I know about his word. I just realized something. He wasn't sleeping on a pillow. He was sleeping on purpose. Something to say I think is important but not essential would be like the inerrancy of scripture. Um, oh, wow. And okay. I hold to the inerrancy of scripture. Okay. The title of my sermon tonight is Why Church Nurseries Are Unscriptural and Wrong. And so that's why I have a baby on my hip right here. There is a level of anointing that I believe is going to invade your homes, invade your sight, invade your senses. Um, that's going to, I literally feel that chains are going to break off of you. Do you think I'm wrong? Yeah. Yeah. Yay. So am I a bad guy for saying you're wrong? Yeah. I am? Yeah. <laughs> that's not fair. Hey, by the way, you are a slave. If you're not a slave of Christ, you're a slave of sin. You aren't free. Choose your master. Give us some men who know the truth. Uh, yeah, I'm in St. Louis area. Okay. My wife and I are from Sedalia. Don't know if you know anything about Sedalia. I don't. I've, I know the name, but that's uh, that's about it. How, on Highway 50, it's about two and a half hours west of St. Louis. Okay. So, okay. Where are you now? I'm a pastor in Utah. I've been out here a little over nine years now. Where about? 15 minutes south of Provo in okay. Payson. I grew up in Sandy. Oh, wow. Okay. Yeah, nice. my, dad was a, my dad was a pastor there for seven years. Wow. Yeah. Lutheran pastor? Mm-hmm. Yeah, Grace Lutheran in Sandy. It's my dad uh, started that church. Okay. Wow. So yeah. So you know all about it. I know I'm from where you are and you're from where I am. Isn't that that's weird? Wild. Yeah, I mean I grew up in Utah. I'm from Indiana. That's what I consider to be home. Okay. Uh but um people who have not people in in St. Louis don't understand this concept because no one from St. Louis ever leaves St. Louis. They move at most 10 minutes away and then they'll do this weird thing where you say uh you're talking to someone you just make a conversation and you go, "So you're from the area?" And they go, "Oh no." And I go, "Oh, where are you from?" And they go uh, St. Charles. I'm like, that's that's the area. Totally the area. Same yeah. sports teams, like same area. Yeah. Co- it's the, you know, but for them, ten minutes away is a big move. Uh, so, uh, but for I moved around a bit as a kid. So when you move around a bit, people get really confused. When you go, I thought you said you were from. You grew up in Utah. I thought you said you were from Indiana. And you're like, you don't understand the concept of when you live numerous places, you get to pick where you're from. That's right. Yeah. Yeah. Because uh, there's some a people feeling. They give the uh, the answer like, oh, I'm from everywhere. You know, I'm from a little yeah. bit everywhere. It's like, no, no, you got you, yeah. you got to pick one. You got to pick, yeah. Mm-hmm. You got to pick what's home, what totally. feels like home. Yeah, yeah. Well, so you you grew up Lutheran then? I did. Yeah, multi generational. I mean, I my family uh, goes back to basically the days of the Reformation. Uh, so I've got with maybe a, a couple of uh broken chain links um basically pastors in my family kind of all the way back to to the days of the reformation and you're missouri synod that is correct yeah one, so, one of the good lutherans yeah yeah so there uh, there are a few different uh church bodies in the united states of america calling themselves lutheran uh the largest is the evangelical lutheran church in america and uh, they are not Lutheran. I don't think they can fairly be. There are there are Christians in their churches, but I think if you look at the official doctrinal positions of their church on a number of issues, uh, universalism, um, uh, human sexuality, stuff things of that nature, can't can't rightly be called Christian. 
Um, so, uh, and then the second largest is the Lutheran Church Missouri Synod, which is what I belong oh, to. Um, second largest. So we are the second largest. Oh. Yeah. I mean, so we're the largest actual Lutheran church body, you know, so there, yeah. there is a sense in which like, it's kind of like nowadays, you know, being the, if you're a girl, you're like, I won second in state and girls track. And they're like, but were you the first girl? And they're like, yeah, I was the, yeah, the winner was a dude, but uh, I'm the fastest girl. Yeah. Cr chromosome that, check. Yeah. So there's a, there's a bit of that uh, with where we are the largest uh, Lutheran church body that actually holds to the Lutheran confessions actually believes the stuff that makes you Lutheran, you know? So for Lutherans uh, can be a little kind of confusing for people Um because Lutherans are kind of in sort of in the middle ground in terms of, you know, for the Roman Catholics, if you're not under the Pope, you're not Catholic. Yeah. Uh, and so even if people, you can call yourself whatever you want, but there's no kind of legitimacy unless you're a part of the external institution. Uh, you know, in a lot of the Protestant world, you can have people that sort of have a kind of an equal claim to names that can kind of be all over the place theologically. Whereas for Lutherans, historically, it's do you hold to the Lutheran confessions? And if you do, then you're a Lutheran. And if you don't, uh, you're not. So we're not nearly as institutional in an outward sense as the Roman Catholic Church, but not nearly as kind of loose as you'll find in a lot of the um, evangelical world. So, mm -hmm. you know, Amer America is a free country, so you can call your religion whatever you want. So the ELCA is free to call themselves Lutheran. But um uh, yeah, so then there's us, uh, there's the Wisconsin uh, Evangelical Lutheran mm -hmm. Synod, which is also a confessional Lutheran church body. They're a bit, uh, a good bit smaller. And then you'll start to get into some really, really small uh, church bodies. There are a bunch of kind of little ones that have split off from other ones over over various issues um, and that are kind of a bit all, all over the place. So, but the ELCA is unique in kind of being... Um, they're very much what you would think of as say the the Episcopal Church mm -hmm. now, where they've just uh, they drove they basically drove out the kind of the last remaining uh, faithful group of their clergy a number of years ago, and um, so so they've just gone full speed down uh, down the direction they they were already going for quite some time. Kind of like PC USA, where sure, yeah, they're not Presbyterian anymore, even though they right. have it in the name. Yeah, the one in Wisconsin uh, that you mentioned there are they conservative generally speaking? Yeah, so um, so sometimes people will say they're more conservative than the than the LCMS. I don't think those terms are are especially helpful, uh, especially kind of using political terms in the church is always a little bit dicey and confusing. Sure, but um, they're not uh, like embracing homosexuality. No, yeah, right. Yeah, so so we're on the same page with regard to human sexuality and gender issues. We're on the same page in terms of our view on six-day creation, in terms of um, kind of all a lot of the stuff that you would typically associate with theological liberalism. We, we do have a couple areas of theological disagreement, um, but one of the kind of the main reason we're not in fellowship is Back in the uh, 50s and 60s and 70s, the LCMS was having a real problem with um, theological liberalism in our seminaries and our church body. Uh, we eventually managed to pretty largely drive it out, but it took a while. And then the LCMS is not always especially great at, we have doctrinal oversight, but it doesn't work very well. And it, it's not super efficient. So on paper, our doctrine is good, but um, you can kind of get away with some nonsense here and there. And so the reason we haven't we haven't reestablished fellowship with the Wisconsin Synod is, I think, in good part because we've we've had a bit of a hard time 
kind of getting our house as clean as it as mm. it really ought to be. Even though I think they they probably have some some problems of their own. They tend to kind of be 30 years behind us in that sense. So, you know, as we kind of went through the worship wars and you saw more congregations embracing what you know, is typically called contemporary worship, they held off on that a lot longer, but now it's come into their circles a bit as well. So those churches are just now starting to fight about whether or not they should have a Facebook page, that kind of thing. <laughs> They'll fight about that in 10 years. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Uh, so, I mean, I, I guess they're called Missouri and Wisconsin synods because historically there were councils or whatever in these states yeah it's kind of where they were organized um so the official name of the lutheran church missouri synod so that's the short version of our name that's how bad our name is oh my wow (laughs) is that the most boring name in the world is even more boring Uh, the official name is something like the uh the evangelical lutheran synod of missouri ohio and other states uh and so uh, it Take, basically, the idea was you had a bunch of different congregations that said, hey, we all believe the same things. We should form together. We should essentially form a, a fellowship uh, and, and and to do things in common that we can't do for ourselves, which is uh, seminaries and a publishing house and kind of a couple other things. Mm. So that was basically how we got started. It's kind of one of those things where it's sort of like with Lutheran satire, where when I started it, I wasn't really thinking of doing this. I think I've been doing it 12, 13 years now. I wasn't really thinking of doing it this long and this much stuff. So I probably would have given it a better name. Yeah. But I didn't think I just, I was just like, oh, here's, you know, I put together one video and I thought, oh, I should, you know, this is a satirical thing I'm doing for Lutherans. And then after a bit, I was like, ah, shoot, I should have come up with a better name because it's not, you know, yeah, it'd be well, like if you start, if you started a comedy club and you just named it like the, the stand up comedy club yeah. where people come and tell jokes. You know, yeah, so, right. Well, you so, know, I I think it's helpful that Lutheran's in the name of that. I mean, yeah, I, I that's think good. It, yeah, it helps. It helps your denominational cause. Yeah, and it helps people understand when people get bent out of shape that these are jokes, and we're yeah, you know, that, that there's a lot of just joking around, which is in the name satire. So that has, I think, helped me in a lot of ways, but just from an artistic standpoint, not the greatest name in the world well, I'm, gonna start a band, just... I'm gonna start a band called five guys who make music on instruments uh-huh and then you... record it and then charge you money to buy it or come see them perform it that's perfect it's a good name for a band it, it could catch on today to we're living yeah. in crazy times yeah so uh so you raised lutheran now you're a lutheran pastor in st louis area what uh what what keeps you lutheran what, what, what do you enjoy about Lutheranism as opposed to other traditions or denominations out there? Yeah, that's a great question. Um, so I think probably the simplest answer is comfort. Um, what I love about being a Lutheran, there, I mean, there are obviously a number of things. Um, I love the fact that when you're a Lutheran, um, comfort is not a kind of spiritual goose chase wild goose chase it's not a, it's not a search it's not uh you know there's that the youtube youtube the u2 song i still haven't found what i'm looking for yeah, right you know which kind of describes a sort of vague spiritual journey of climbing mountains and looking everywhere and going everywhere and still not quite being able to find what you're looking for that's not a song that a lutheran would write the lutheran version <laughs> of that song would be bono's not I, lutheran well hold yeah, on yeah, yeah, i know news. 
Uh, small, yeah, not not a large Lutheran presence in Ireland, despite my best effort. There are more there are more fictional Irish Lutherans. Okay. I've created Noted. more fictional Irish Lutherans than there are Irish Lutherans. <laughs> um, but uh, but for us, it's not a it's not a journey. It is um, if I want to know God, if I want to be in in communion with God, if I want to rest in His arms and know that He loves me and cherishes me, uh, I have all of that in the life of the church. I have that in the scriptures, that the scriptures are written for me to know who Christ is. Uh, the scriptures are written because God wants me to know that Jesus died for me, that he took on human flesh to be my savior, to fulfill the law for me, uh, to give me the right to live with him forever. Um, and that, and so all of these gifts of salvation and, and peace and eternal life that Christ has won for me are given in the life of the church. So that when I, I'm my own, I'm my own pastor. So take this from the perspective of if I'm a layman, it's a weird thing to be your own pastor. Very true. You, yep. And you think like, well, you know how, to, you know, how, are, are you, are you bad at going to church on vacation? Cause you just like the guy starts talking and then you just start and you, then you start writing your sermon in your head as he starts talking and you realize I don't, I'm not listening to. I, I've heard it. I've heard it was said and it's so true that pastors are the worst listeners. So yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I think well, anything you professionalize in, I think it is a is yes. a problem with that. I got a buddy who's a sound engineer, and I asked him a number of years ago. I said, "What music are you listening to now?" He goes, "Oh, I, I can't listen to music because you listen to music, you hear songs. I listen yes. to music, I hear uh, the EQ needs to be tweaked here on the vocals, and I need to do this, and the snare is too loud, you know, and kind of all that stuff." Like when when Michael Scott had to listen to a bad sales pitch, he said, "It's like Michael Jordan having to listen to a bad basketball player." <laughs> Right. Yeah, exactly. So anyways, to get back to, to being Lutheran, um, it's that you know that when you hear the word proclaimed, that I don't have to figure out, is this for me? Because I know it's for me uh, because God has given his gifts to me. I know that when I look at the font uh, and I see the waters in which I was baptized, or at least a font that is kind of spiritually connected to the font that was at the church in Minnesota where I was baptized as a baby. That, that there you have the promise of the waters of salvation where God claimed me as his own. I have the promise that when I uh, kneel at the altar and receive the bread and wine, I'm receiving the very body and blood of Christ for the forgiveness of my sins. I know that God is in the room granting me peace and eternal salvation. I, I was doing a Bible study with my uh, Sunday morning class on the, uh, the 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 revival that was going on at, at Asbury University, whether mm, one considers yeah. it a legitimate revival or not, it obviously depends on your definition of the word revival. And I we we watched a really interesting video of a young guy, very zealous and and um, very pious young man, but he made a comment about how the the reason why he was so drawn to to drive several hours with his friends to go to the revival, I don't remember his exact wording, but it was something along the lines of. Uh, if the throne of God had its, if, if the Jesus at, at his throne had his presence localized in the room, how could we, how could we not drive a couple hours to see it? And to which, and, and, and I understood where he's coming from, from his perspective. But for me as a Lutheran, it just made me sad mm. because I go, I don't have to drive hours for that. I live 15 minutes from my church. Mm. Uh, every, every week, uh, Christ, uh, uh, brings his presence into the room. The throne of God has has localized in the room because Christ is there with his with his mercy and salvation. So I know that. So as a Lutheran, the comfort I find is in knowing that uh, that in the doctrine of justification by grace through faith alone, uh, 
So it is that uh, that every ounce of my salvation is won for me entirely in the blood of Jesus Christ, and that's received through faith. Likewise, I find comfort in the fact that I don't have to ask myself whether or not my faith is legitimate. I don't need to somehow prove to myself that I get to be someone who gets to be comforted by the fact that salvation is by grace is by grace through faith alone, because the because the Holy Spirit created faith in me. That faith is not my own doing, but it's the work of the Holy mm-hmm. Spirit. And likewise, I find comfort in the fact that the things that create and strengthen my faith are not things of my own, but rather are the gifts of God in in the scriptures, in preaching, in baptism, uh, and in and in the supper. So that's really kind of the, for me the core issue. The thing I love about being Lutheran is um, that you know there are di- there are obviously days when the world makes you despair and, and weighs you down. Mm. Um, but the kind of anxiety that I've often perceived in other Christians of the uncertainty of knowing whether or not you actually belong to God uh, is, is not something that's kind of in the Lutheran DNA because we don't hold to the limited atonement. So we don't kind of the, what I've seen from my perspective, the, the, the problem I've seen Calvinist, the Calvinists run into is they try to safeguard election so much that they put themselves in a position where, all right, we can say with 100% certainty that 100% of the elect never lose their salvation. So don't worry. But then that just kicks the doubt down one <laughs> layer. Right. It creates go, a new problem. Yeah. Right. Then how do I know that I'm among the elect? It's kind of the same thing. But it's sort of a criticism I have of the Roman Catholic Church's approach to the scriptures where they say, well, look, guys, uh, the, you can't just interpret the Bible for yourself in order to really be a, a true understander of the scriptures in order to be certain of, of your faith and what you believe, you need the authorized official interpretation of the Bible. And you go, oh, sweet. Uh, I'd love to have that. And I go, okay, well, then you got to become a Catholic. And I go, oh, cool. So if I become a Catholic, I get, you guys just hand me like, this is the official interpretation <laughs> of the Bible. And they go, no, 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 we don't have that. And I go, well, but wait, so like, what's the official Catholic interpretation of the Bible? And they go, it depends on which Catholic you ask. <laughs> uh-huh, and you yeah. go, wait a minute. This sounds like Protestantism with extra steps. Uh-huh, this just yeah. sounds like you, you, <laughs> here's the, you know, here's the truth. And, and I, and you just moved it down a level, right? So it, it's the kind of kicking the problem down one level. So as, as a Lutheran, uh, I know that Christ died for me. I believe that Christ died for me. So I don't have to ask myself, well, am I one of the elect? And likewise, I don't, uh, and then kind of from the other side of things on the sort of the Arminian perspective, um, I don't have to ask myself whether or not my decision for Christ was legitimate and real because it never was my decision. Uh, That the only way I could invite Christ into my heart is if he already prepared a place for himself there and already invited himself in. And so, um, so I know that Christ is, I know that Christ is, is my savior, that Christ gave his life for me, that, that his death was for me. I also know that, um, my salvation is not, or that, that the cross is not something that I have to kind of turn on with my faith so that Jesus is not my potential savior. He is already my savior and that he has already won the victory. He's already declared me to be innocent before his father in heaven. And it's through faith that I receive the benefits of that 
salvation. Mm. This is for Lutherans. This is a distinction between what we call objective and subjective justification. So objective justification is the declaration is made without anything that you have done. God declares me to be worthy of eternal life and innocent in the courtroom of his judgment because Christ claimed my sins as his own and paid the debt that I owed. Uh, I receive the benefits of that salvation through faith. So the, the analogy I've often used with this is it's like the uh, the stories about the Japanese soldiers in World War II that were like had buried them there you know they're off fighting on the islands and they're uh, burying burying themselves in caves as they see kind of the war side of the war turning and then they got cut off from radio communication hmm. and the war ended and they didn't know so for some amount of time there's one guy uh one guy who like decided that he didn't believe the war was over and stayed in the jungle for like 30 years it's an amazing story and they had to get his off his commanding officer to come out of retirement something they had to like fly some 19 year old wow. guy to the island and go like he can stand down <laughs> um right but so so the war is over objectively the united states and japan are at peace did that particular soldier possess peace well no because through his unbelief he didn't receive it but it, it but peace exists objectively and so this is the thing I love about being a Lutheran is that I don't I don't ever need to worry that my that my my faith is not sincere enough to to activate the cross hmm. because it's not my faith that activates the cross it's the cross itself that does its own work uh, and likewise I know that Christ died for me and I know that when he pours out his gifts uh, that I that I am receiving them and that if we uh, could uh, pause on the the faith activation element you were just yeah. saying that doesn't exist could you provide the contrast for that within Protestantism like you yeah, like so you did for the limited atonement issue could you contrast well, yeah. sure yeah so I, I think you'll see this in a lot of the phraseology and verbiage that that a lot of people who will talk about when they came to the faith how they talk about it as they talk about how I made Jesus my Lord and Savior how I um, how I invited Jesus into my heart, like the typical kind of sinner's prayer language of, you know, Jesus, I invite you into my heart and I ask you to be my savior. Now, there, there's obviously, a you know, a lot of theology is, a phrase can be right or wrong depending on the context in which you say it. Right. Um, so I'm, I'm not trying to be too critical of people who they can't, you know, that's the avenue through which they came to the faith and they are legitimately Christians and they just kind of, had some bad guidance in how to sort of verbalize that. But uh, you will find a lot of language in those in those realms that basically speaks about Jesus as he can be your savior. Jesus loves you and he died for you and all of the salvation that he died for is sort of stored up in heaven for you and it's waiting for you and as soon as you ask for it, God will pour it out upon you. But but he won't he's not your savior until you ask him to be your savior. I've I've heard I've had conversations with people where I've heard them draw distinctions that I as a, as a Lutheran just wouldn't draw. Where so they'll say things like, G, you know, Jesus is your right now. Jesus is your uh, something, but he's not your savior until you actually believe. You know, so Jesus is like you're you're saved, but you're not redeemed, or you're redeemed, but you're not saved, or whatever. You know, terms that as a Lutheran I we just kind of use them pretty synonymously or they're just describing different aspects of salvation describing it but not but not different processes 
So, uh, so Jesus justifying us and Jesus saving us for Lutherans are not, they're not different processes. They're just different, um, as I say, just different aspects of what's going on, you know, in the same way that you, um, you know, that you would might refer to your wife as, uh, you know, as your, as your rock and as your star, you know, or whatever it might yeah. be, or a wife might refer to her husband that way. It's just different aspects of things. So, yeah, so in that sense, um, so I think there's oftentimes a kind of anxiety in a lot of the Protestant evangelical world of, I don't, all right, so if Jesus isn't really my savior until I believe, how do I know I really believe? How do I know my faith is legitimate? And I think one of the challenges with this is um, so many things that are kind of in the water of American evangelicalism. It, historically, it makes sense how they got there out of the revivalist movement, but it doesn't really, they don't work super well for the second generation of Christians. So, um, so for example, if you've legitimately never heard of Christ, right, or you've, or at least not in any kind of authoritative sense, right? You didn't go to church growing up. You've heard the name around, but you don't really know much of anything about it, you know, in, in the same way that if someone were to say to me, uh, do you believe in Ahura Mazda, the God of the Zoroastrians? And I go, no. And they'd go, well, why don't you believe in him? And I go, I don't know anything. I just, all I know is he's not the triune God. <laughs> so that's, that's why I don't believe, but that's the only thing I know. That's, I only know his name. Right. So people who kind of that was their level of familiarity with with Christianity and and they go to a revival and they hear this gospel preaching and and they believe it and they come to the faith and they become Christians. Well, those people have a moment where they can go, you know, June 17th, 1952, whatever it was, I was here and I didn't have the information. And then someone gave me the information and I learned a thing I didn't know. And then I was here and I believed it. Well, but then if they remain in the faith and then they have kids, right, and they raise their kids in the church, their kids aren't going to have that same experience because Jesus was already there. You know, saying, when did you decide to make Jesus your, when did you choose to believe in Christ is like saying, when did you accept your parents as your parents? You're like, well, they kind of are always there the whole time. And as I grew in my understanding of them deepened, but they were, I always kind of knew them. That, that's like why people, some people say I... I've always been a Christian or I, I right. was, yeah, uh, I've, I've always been a believer. People say right. things like that. Yeah. And so, so one of the challenges is for people who have grown up in a world like that, if you keep the previous generation's view of conversion, where you say, no, no, no you got to have an, ex you have to have some kind of experience where you go from, I wasn't a believer to a believer. You have to give your heart to Jesus in some kind of context like that. Well, how do you manufacture that? in a world where Jesus is, is already there, you know, and, and has been there the entire time. And so it ends up, uh, from my perspective, ends up creating a, a lot of anxiety for people where they go, well, I, uh, I got to find something. I got to have some answer to the question of when did I go from one to the other? And then, so, you know, it's, so it's like, like 17 year old kids who are dating, you know, and they, they want to be older than they are and think they're, you know, so, all right, you know, how do I know that I'm in love with this person? And, and you got to find some like dumb thing, you know, and all this was the, this is when I knew she was the one, hmm. you know, and you got to find a thing to, and the problem is it's difficult to find those things. So then, so you're, there's always kind of that fear of like, was that really the thing or am I just kind of, am I just kind of looking for something, you know? Yeah. 
And um, so as a Lutheran, I don't, I don't have that. Um, I know that, uh, that Jesus already was my savior. I didn't have to do anything to make him my savior. And that uh, when I came to the faith, it was all his doing. It was all his work, all through the work of the Holy Spirit. Um, so I find uh, great and profound comfort in that. So that's why I like being a Lutheran. If I could play Baptist advocate, which shouldn't be hard because sure. I'm Baptist. Yeah. I, uh, <laughs> I, I'm thinking through, okay, well, how do you deal with the personal nature of salvation that obviously has this corporate side of it, but there's also a, a very personal side of it too. We are saved individually and corporately as the body of Christ. But I mean, individually, each person does have to come to a moment of personal faith. I mean, that has to that has to happen. So how, how do you preserve that in a situation like with your children, for instance, raising them in the faith? Right. How, how do you preserve this reality that at a certain point they can't just piggyback on their parents' faith? They have to have their own. Well, I, I don't think in in any way that they are though. I mean that. So that's the that's the thing is is um, so I all my children were baptized as as babies. Uh, I baptized all of them except for the oldest. My I wasn't a pastor yet. My dad baptized him, um, and so what I what I believe is that through the waters of baptism, God claimed them as as His own child. There, now uh, that that baptismal promise obviously is received through faith, and and so you know so certainly one of the things I talk with them about as I talk with with all people about is um, is that you you can't keep the promises of god while shutting yourself off from the thing that delivers them to you mm. right so um so the way i have uh described the relationship between faith and us and and the word and the sacraments uh, kind of from our perspective is it's a little bit like uh an electric guitar and an amplifier and then the cable don't call it a chord guitar players will get really mad if you call it a, they're like no no this is a chord the other thing's a cable very good. Right. Where so I don't um I don't produce the notes, right? I don't produce the salvation. God produces the salvation. And um I am I'm the amplifier. It comes out of me for this. It's not not a perfect analogy, I suppose, in this illustration, but yeah. how does the sound get to the point where it's coming out of me? Well, the cable connects the guitar uh to me. And so the cable doesn't uh generate the thing uh but it delivers it right so faith uh god delivers through faith the gifts of salvation to me so um uh so yeah from i mean from our perspective i mean we we would i would agree that of course everyone has to have personal faith right so we um we are when we say that we're saved by faith it's probably a helpful point of clarification for from a lutheran perspective that doesn't mean faith is the cause of our salvation right uh I, I find the the framing saved by grace through faith to be a bit more thorough um so it's it's the by the why it's happening is god's grace and mercy um the the way that it gets to us is through faith so um so all so all christians need to actually believe right you're not going to be saved by the faith of of other people um you're not this is actually an area where we would disagree with uh, so lutherans and presbyterians both practice infant baptism but we have a bit of a different understanding right. of it um so uh, for me it's kind of a weird thing about being a lutheran is uh 
theological debates where I'm just sitting here going like, I, this is, I completely reject the framing of this whole thing. And then people, they go, so this will happen to us often. Lutherans are kind of isolated sometimes and people will come to me, they go, where, where do you stand on the one of, one of the two only option positions in this argument? And I hear them and I go, oh, those are both wrong. It's a false way of framing things. So one of these is uh, Presbyterians and Baptists like to debate pedo-baptism and credo-baptism, as they call it. And I completely reject the framing of that. So Lutherans 100% believe in what we would call credo-baptism in the sense that we believe that when infants are baptized, uh, that they do in fact believe that the Holy Spirit grants them the faith. They can't express that faith. But the fact that God commands us, as we believe, to baptize infants means that this is a promise that God will give them the faith to receive what baptism gives and that God will create it and that the word itself creates it. So, so baptism is uh, baptism delivers its own mechanism for receiving baptism. Uh, you know, it's kind of like software that self-installs, right? You, you ever, I don't know if you like down, recently downloaded software, you like download something and they're going, okay, now you got to go to this whole other site to download the installer. And you're like, what? Yeah. And get, what get the drivers. Century? And, yes. Yeah. Mm -hmm. what, how are you still doing this in 2023? <laughs> Everything this, should be plug and play. That's 1997 era nonsense. Um, so that's, but that's essentially how we would view baptism, right? That it it, it comes with its own delivery system. Um, that being said, though, if you reject, if you turn from the faith and you reject what baptism gives, you don't get what baptism gives. It, so in the same way that if you are, if I go to a doctor and he says, uh, here, take this pill, it'll save you. From whatever your disease is and i go okay so i take the pill and then i and then for whatever reason i stick my finger down my throat and vomit it up and he goes what are you doing and i go well what i'm fine now you said just to take the pill and i'd be saved he's like no it, the pill delivers the medicine to you it's not the mere act of swallowing the pill it's that what the pill gives to you is is what it gives you healing so if you vomit that back up if you reject it if you turn from the faith you don't you don't get that from it so, um, so yeah, we would agree in this, we would certainly agree that you're not saved by anybody else's personal faith and that you don't possess salvation until you believe so that there is, there's no difference. Um, uh, if you turn from the faith, if you hear the word and don't believe it, whatever the scenario is, there's no, if you have Christian parents and are surrounded by people who pray for you all the time, there's no difference between you and someone who's entirely you know, in the depths of the ocean of unbelief. Uh, in so, the, sense so the, that you, the baptism there makes no difference is what you're saying. I, no, no, I'm not at all saying it doesn't, I'm not saying it doesn't make any difference. Uh, what I, because it, because it delivers salvation. What I'm saying is it's, it's received through faith. So, but I, but I wouldn't say there's no difference. I okay. wouldn't say it makes no difference there. Um, I know that that's kind of a fine distinction, but um, in this, in the same way that, yeah, ultimately what I guess what I'm saying is, if you say you have a person who's baptized as a child, his parents don't take him to the faith, right? Uh, or don't take him to church, never hears the word of God after that. From a Baptist perspective, you guys would say, uh, well, that was, there's no difference between that and a kid who was never baptized. Yeah, they're, Lutheran, they're equally condemned. Yeah, and I would agree that they're equally condemned. But my my view on that is... Uh, 
that that it's the difference between someone who has never had the seed scattered to them versus someone who's ha- who had the seed uh, devoured by birds. Hmm. This is so this is the thing so for example when I um every now and then I'll have uh people come to me I'll, people will call me up out of nowhere that I don't know and they'll say oh I'm I grew up Lutheran and mar- got married to this guy and we got this baby and we, we kind of wanted to get our baby baptized and so do you do you do that uh and I'll you sit down and talk with them right do you do that and, yeah, it's you, you know it's you know it's not going to be the the most yeah. encouraging. I I legitimately had someone call up once I, that I had never talked to before, and I picked up the phone. I was in Illinois at the time, and I go River of Life Lutheran Church. This is Pastor Feeney, and the first words I heard were, "Yeah, when can I get my kid baptized?" <laughs> and I hey to the point, you got to respect yeah, it. It was efficient, but I but I immediately knew I'm never going to baptize this kid mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Uh, because, and I would like to. But um, I always tell people in situations like that, I say to people, uh, we, we, so we believe that baptism saves because it, because it delivers salvation. But, uh, but in order to remain in Christ's arms, you need to continue to have faith. And if you cut this child off from the word that create, that sustains that faith, it'll die. And I show him the parable of the sower on the seed. And I say, so if you're not, if you have no plans of bringing this kid back to church, you are asking me to deliberately sow seed upon the path where the bird can, can uh, immediately devour it or, you know, pluck, pluck it up out of the, uh, out of the soil, uh, sort of the, you know, the higher level of soil. And now granted, granted, most of the time when I say that to people, they go, oh no, no, we're going to come, you know, and I take them at their word. And sometimes they have, and other a lot of times yeah. <laughs> it goes the way that that mm-hmm. if you were a betting man, like pastors shouldn't. I don't think we should gamble, but we would make so much money if we did. <laughs> oh man, yeah. How many times have you heard? Yeah, we'll be there. Uh-huh. Oh yeah. Like if I could, there's no sanctified way of doing this, so we can't do it, right? <laughs> but if I could say, if I, you know, like you have a, a, a you know, your family starts visiting and you meet with them a couple times and then they join, right? And if you could, and if you could just do a side bet with people in the congregation, like, all right, I'm going to tell you about how long it's going to be before these people leave and why they're going to leave. And I'm mm-hmm. going to tell you it now mm-hmm. based off of two conversations with them. Like, can I get a, a $60,000 bonus if I'm right? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Because it, it's I, always kind of the same, you know, the people have similar personalities and stuff, but you got to take as a pastor, you got to take people at their word, you know, yeah, even though you and- feel like you have a gut thing love and believes never, and hopes all things right so right yeah and and also things change you know and i there are people i've seen who were in that like will be there and then never show up category mm-hmm. for decades with other churches and then something happened in their life and god steered them back and and you just happen to be the guy who received them you know so it, it's it, it's all in, in god's hands with those things but but back to the point of, of baptism so yeah so what i would say there is there, there definitely is a difference between uh, someone who has been baptized and hasn't been baptized in that one has been given the gift and the other hasn't. Uh, but uh, in a kind of a final sense, the, uh, the person who rejects the gift and the person who did not receive the gift are are in the same boat. Would you so put that in the same category with um, like extending it past 
I don't know, salvation into judgment, like how Jesus talked about there'd be greater judgment for certain cities because they oh sure uh, saw his miracles firsthand and yeah he- Hebrews six type of stuff too about tasting the heavenly gift and all of that right yeah oh yeah yeah that there's a greater sense of uh, of accountability and judgment I mean so yeah there's on the one hand like you don't want to either way you don't want to end up in condemnation. Uh, but there, it, there were probably condemnation will probably be worse for some than, than for others. Mm-hmm. Um, and, um, yeah, so there will be in, in, or similarly, um, one of the things I've said to parents as well, as I show them the passage about, you know, if you drive out the evil spirit, it goes out and it, into the waterless places and it comes back with seven spirits worse than mm-hmm. itself. And this, and the, or, you know, and the, se- the second state of the person is worse than the first. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and I've used that as well to show to parents that, um, when you are, when you ask me to baptize your child and to give them this gift of salvation and to give them the Holy Spirit, if you live your life in such a way where the devil and the cares of the world are going to choke the faith out of them, it's going to be worse for them than if they were never baptized. And you got to recognize that going in. I mean, the, I'm, I, I don't know if this is your experience. I imagine it probably is because uh, it is the, it's the case for virtually every pastor I've ever talked to. By far, the mo- the people I've met in my life who are the most hostile to the Christian faith, are there, it's never Muslims, it's never people who, you know, Hindus or Buddhists or people who grew up in, or don't know anything about it, uh, in the same way that we don't get mad about movies that we haven't seen. Mm. Um, it's people who had a little bit of Christianity and think they know what it is. And, and their hatred of Christ is, is of a profoundly different character than the kind of hatred of indifference that a lot of other people yeah. have. Yeah, I, I totally agree. Like uh, Tyler, the ex-evangelical. Right. Yeah. Yeah. The, those guys are, uh, yeah, they know enough to think they know what it is. And it's so difficult to convince people because it's it's not hard to convince people that they're ignorant in the, in terms of uh, and I, I mean, that is not as a pejorative, but just mm-hmm. like you literally don't know the information in the same way that if, yeah. you know, if a Zoroastrian, to go back to the Zoroastrians, all seven of them left in the world. If, if one of them came up to me, and was like, I want to pick a fight with you about Zoroastrianism. I was like, well, you're going to win because I don't, because <laughs> all I know is Ahura Mazda and Freddie Mercury. That's the only stuff I know about. <laughs> Uh, about that stuff <laughs> well right? and there's that bitterness too with people who have been in it and then right left. yeah they they have that that guile that is just so yeah. biting and sharp yeah and 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 the challenge is that um a lot of times there are there are obviously a lot of people who've been really mistreated by mm. people who should have been christians to them and pastors who should have faithfully preached to them and served them and cared for them and protected them and loved them and didn't you know and and there will be a There'll be a lot of millstones, you know, spiritual millstones thrown around the necks of collar wearing uh, folks on the last day. That said, a lot of the time when people tell you they were hurt by the church, it's I wanted to sin and the church said no. Mm. And um, and likewise, it's also too like there is this thing of. All right. So I. Uh, I have no intention of leaving the faith. I pray that I never will leave the faith, obviously. If I were to leave the faith, I already know right now, like what arguments I would make to justify it. I don't believe the arguments right now. I pray that I never do. But you know the move you would have to make to just 
go there, you know? And, um, you know, in the same, or in the same way, like if you have a friend who, who does some stuff that's kind of irritating and he's your friend and you love him, but if he ever did something to betray you or to hurt you or your family, then the list of 20 things that you're just like, ah, this is the way he is, would suddenly become, I've always hated these things about oh, you. Yeah. And this was why you were always a bad friend, you know? Yep. And it's the, kind of the same thing uh, with the church, which is a lot of this is, it's hard to, you never really quite know. Uh, but a, a lot of times I think for people, their kind of sense of, oh, I was hurt by the church is, that's actually stuff that you would have sloughed off and, you know, kind of, unkind behavior or just sort of human foolishness and sinfulness that you would have not put much, you wouldn't put any stock into it. If you didn't hate Jesus, if you love mm -hmm. Jesus, it wouldn't bother you, but you decided that you wanted your sin more and, but you wanted to make yourself look like a victim. So you had, you looked around like, Oh, can you believe the things mm -hmm. that this is a, I have, I've had the script in the tank on a video about this for years uh, that I'm planning on trying to get done sometime this summer thanks to the advance and advancements of mid journey and other ai image producing stuff that makes it much much more efficient and cheaper to make videos it'll probably uh, finally get done this summer but it's a video called hurt by the church and it's kind of this this concept of people trying of of trying to navigate the minefield of is this a legitimate thing to be hurt by or you know one time I, you know, cussed out my mom at the church rummage sale and the pastor was like, I don't think that's the way we should talk to our mom now, is it? And, you know, <laughs> and that's why I'm an atheist today, you know? All right. Yeah. Well, I do want to get to the Lutheran satire stuff. Uh, sure. You doing okay on time? Yeah, I'm fine. Um, I, though I want to mention while we're on the topic of just Lutheranism in general, uh, flame, the rapper Flame yeah. had a pretty public conversion from more traditional Reformed hmm. uh, Calvinistic type existence, uh, maybe a Reformed Baptist or Presbyterian, whatever he was, and then has now become, it seems, LCMS Lutheran. Right. And uh, maybe Jordan Cooper influenced him on that. I think I saw that they did an interview or two or something. Mm -hmm. uh, is that is that a... I don't know. How, how do you view that as a pastor where it's like someone has a public conversion to Lutheranism and makes a whole oh, rap I, album about it? It was kind yeah, of strange. Yeah, I like it. One of the one of the really fun things about it is um is having to watch people that I know do not understand or like or appreciate or have any context for having had rap as a part of their life who are suddenly like, did you know that this guy is <laughs> you know, and uh and, and I love so I love his stuff. Uh, he's a buddy of mine. Uh, we're friendly. I've uh, met a couple of times, um, came to my church a little while ago. Yeah. So he, if I remember his story correctly, it's that he wanted to, uh, to kind of devote himself to more study. So he, he, he's from St. Louis. He doesn't live here anymore, but from St. Louis, in St. Louis at the time, grew up here, uh, and decided to get a master's degree in theology from our seminary here, from mm. Concordia Seminary, uh, over in Clayton. And it was during his time studying that, uh, that he, that he, re, uh, came to, came to the Lutheran faith, came to the Lutheran confession and particular stuff having to do with the sacraments. So, yeah, it is, um, it's a wild thing to be kind of minding your own business, living your church life. You're like, all right, you know, I gotta go teach Bible class and go visit some old ladies in the hospital. And then all of a sudden someone's like, hey, did you know there's a guy who's like a legitimate 
really talented, very successful Christian rap artist who just put out like an entire album of Calvinist diss tracks. (laughs) And you're like, right. And, and as the Lutheran satire guy, there's a part of me that's sort of like, that's my thing. (laughs) That sounds like something I would do. And they're like, no, no, no. He does it seriously. And like, it's good. And you're like, oh, well then, all right, then that's not my thing at all. Um, but yeah, no, it's, it's, so that's been, been great to see. So I love high profile conversions. He's been, uh, he's a great ambassador to our faith, uh, to our confession of faith. Uh, he's had done a great job of, of bringing that into circles where it normally isn't heard before. Uh, Lutherans are, can be kind of annoyingly quietistic, mm. uh, if that's a word. Um, in the sense that, I mean, there, there are a lot of historical reasons for this. A big part of it is we were still in the most congregations in the Lutheran Church, Missouri Synod, were still worshiping in German until the outbreak of the First World War. Hmm. And then the United States goes to war against Germany. And then we stopped doing services in German and doing them in English. And we were putting the flags up and the church was like, we are good Americans now. I don't know why I did that <laughs> in a Russian you? accent, but... Uh, is, is, is that your your background too? I'm assuming with a names like name like yeah, I'm mostly Stina. I'm mostly Stina. Norwegian, but yeah, but it's German as well, okay. right? So, um, and uh, the the Scandinavian Lutherans tended to end up more so in the church bodies that eventually became the ELCA. Uh, so there's a bit of a difference there, but there's mm-hmm. still some of us in the in the LCMS. And um, I completely forgot what I was talking about. You, quiet people, quiet. Pe- oh yes, quietistic. Yes. So so part of it was you know like. Well, you're, you know, you're not going to really like uh, go into the public square that much if the public square is in English. And like, you know, if if I if we were still worshiping in German and someone doesn't speak German, I'm probably not going to invite him to church, you know. So there's kind of that aspect of things. And and there are other aspects, too, in that we're the Lutheran Church, Missouri Synod has historically, and I certainly agree with this, uh, been very, very meticulous about safeguarding our doctrine, because we've seen a lot of times church bodies start smooshing up together and then uh, their doctrine gets really fuzzy uh, on issues and then everything kind of tends to fall apart. So part of it is we're we're not going to be as present in kind of ecumenical dialogue if we are if we go in basically saying we're not going to change our position on any of these yeah. issues uh you know we're not going to participate in joint communion services with you guys or joint services with you guys and things of that nature um so we won't commune with you guys we won't even have joint services with you you know and so that was kind of part of it as well uh, but part of it is just like, you know, poor German farmers not wanting to spend money on things. Don't build your street. Don't build your church. Why would you build your church on a busy street where the land's more expensive when everyone can just walk two blocks over, you know, that kind of stuff. So mm-hmm. so we've kind of had this mindset of, of well, we kind of have our own little thing, you know, and we don't really need to be super concerned about other people. So the thing I love about Flame you know, he's a convert. So he's sitting there going, man, I wish I had known about this earlier. This, mm. this comfort stuff, a lot of stuff I was talking about before, you know, I've heard him talk about sure would have been great to know this a while ago. I want everyone else to know that, that this is a thing. So it's great to, it's been uh, great to see that. Uh, great to see that happening. Well, as we think about notable Lutherans that we should have on our radar, there's yeah, flame Jordan Cooper, who I just mm. mentioned, uh, Chris Roseboro with, mm. uh, fighting for the faith, his YouTube channel, he's LCMS, right? 
No, he and Cooper are uh, are A E L C. This is oh. to get really into the weeds oh, with Here things. We well, bring They're it on. In, Explain it. We're in fellowship with them, but they are a separate church body. That's um, and there are boring historical reasons for that that I okay. won't bother going into. But so do- doctrinally on paper, doctrinally we would be on the same page. Yeah. Um. So there's a couple of distinction things with between our church bodies that probably kind of need to be hashed out. But um, but doctrinally we're we're pretty much on the on the same page okay uh there's another musical musical artist way less high profile than flame i suppose kip fox i don't know if you ever listened to kip fox's stuff but he's lcms and okay he uh has made some well now i'll have to listen yeah i'll I'll send you a link after this uh doug moo no i don't know that name douglas moo the commentator for the commentator for what um, he's probably most famous for in the new international commentary on the new Testament. He did the volume on Romans. Okay. Uh, yeah, but he's, yeah, he's Lutheran as I remember any okay. other names from your world that uh, people should have on their radars. People are listening to this and thinking through who are some influential, helpful Lutherans out there. Well, all right. So on the one hand, sure. I, there's, there's answers to that question. Uh, a guy I find really helpful is a really good friend of mine, a guy named Brian Wolfmuller, uh, who has a pretty large YouTube presence. And an um, awesome last name, Wolfmuller. Wolfmuller is a really good last name. I bet name. the German translation of that is awesome. Yeah. Uh, Miller of Wolves? Is. I don't know. Yeah. Who, That's cool. who knows? Um, but um, yeah, he's a, has a YouTube channel, uh, W-O-L-F-M-U-E-L-L-E-R. Been a good friend of mine for, for a long while. But on the other hand, also, um, you know, I mean, I, I recognize the the realm of new tech, you know, and and, and new media is that it, it gives you access to information that you just couldn't have had before. And it gives it to you instantly. At the same time, um, Lutheranism is really not uh, a confession of faith that lends itself terribly well towards sort of uh, celebrity theologians. Sure. Because for us, it's um, so much of our of our theology and so much of our focus of the church is, well, the church is the saints gathered around the word and sacraments. So if you want to know what Lutheranism is, you know, I've put out stuff that can kind of give you a, a general idea as to what you're looking at. And other guys have done so as well. Wolfman has done a lot of that. There's a guy named Jonathan Fisk, who I haven't kept up with him a whole lot. He used to do a YouTube channel where he's doing a lot of this stuff. I don't know if he still is. Uh, F-I-S-K. Um, he's another pastor in our church body. And um, so that's uh, so that's certainly helpful. I know the pastor, pastor Roseboro, Chris Roseboro with Fighting for the Faith has done a lot of stuff kind of picking apart uh, sort of stuff you'll find in the evangelical world. And he's uh, I know people who that's he was their introduction to Lutheranism. Mm-hmm. So so I I, de- I definitely think that stuff is good. Right. And I and I do that stuff. So I do it because I think it's it's beneficial for us to be out there at the same time you're not a Lutheran until you actually belong to, until you actually have a congregation, until you've got a, a pastor who's communing you until, you know, until you're actually hearing the word uh, rightly preached. So for me, a lot of, you know, the, to me, the best thing for people is find an LCMS congregation near you. If you need help with that, certainly reach out to me. You know, we do have our problems. So sometimes LCMS churches are not great um, and, and are not necessarily the best representation of what our confession of faith actually is. So sometimes that can be a little bit challenging. Likewise, we're, um, you know, again, largely a Germanic church body. That's not nearly as much the case now as it used to be, but you know, there are historical vestiges of that, which is that like most of us are, are located in the Midwest. 
So, you know, we still kind of have congregations, most areas and, uh, but you know, there are areas like if you're living in West Virginia, it's going to be tough to find, to find an LCMS congregation, just because the people who were Lutherans didn't move there. But you know? if you're uh, in Minnesota, yeah. you're in Minnesota, you'll, you'll be all right. Yeah. Or the, although that's, uh, more of the Scandinavians there. What's kind of interesting is that, so historically the ELCA has generally been about twice the size of the Lutheran Church, Missouri Synod. Wow. Uh, that that number is kind of changing a bit because they've lost so many members. Uh, and um, Probably a lot are dying and not very many are being raised in it. Uh, right, yeah, a, there's not really a, this is kind of the, the funny thing about progressive Christianity, so-called Christianity, is why would you go? I mean, if, if you're if the overarching thesis of the uh, progressive church is yeah. there's nothing we can give you that you can't get just as well from your own way and your own path and your own culture and your own religion, then why would I give you my time and money? If I go uh -huh. into if a new burger joint opens down the street from me and I go in and I go, so what makes your burgers good? And and the first thing they tell me is our cheeseburgers are are not any better than anyone else's. All other cheeseburgers are, are just as great as ours. And in fact, in a lot of ways, we have a lot to learn from the other cheeseburger places about making cheeseburgers. Then you're going to go, I don't think I want to come here then. Like, why would I give, mm -hmm. why would I give you my time and money uh, if you don't believe in your product? So there's that aspect of things where why would you be that? You yeah. know, they don't have, they don't have a compelling reason for their own existence. Except maybe to make old people feel better that their grandkids aren't actually going to hell for being, you know, uh, right, yeah. and total rebels, but yeah. Yeah. Although I don't, I don't think that's really the issue because it tends to be the, the, the Christians in those church bodies tend to be the old people who are bothered by the fact that their kids don't go to church. It's that you get some, all right. So one of the things that I found to be very illuminating about COVID uh, was, I really learned a thing that I think I probably knew, but saw very clearly is back when people were really getting into online church, you know, and, and I saw a video of a, it was maybe a PC USA congregation, but it was like a near union seminary, you know, super, super, super progressive. Mm. Uh, and it was their call to worship song. And it was a song where the gal singing it, who was the pastor had changed the it was it lightly changed the words to a song from the musical Pippin, which I only know because my sister was a musical theater savant growing up. And so mm. the song, right, song not because still, you're a closet musical uh, lover. I like some musicals, oh, but, okay. right. but not, not Pippin. That's not my, that one's not my cup of tea. Hey. Uh, <laughs> More of a cat's so, guy. But I'm watching it and I go, Oh, Oh, I just figured out what progressive Christianity is. It's it's a jobs program for underemployed musical theater majors. <laughs> there you go. Hey, that right. Works. Like I could never figure out why. Like why would you go to seminary to go tell people a bunch of stuff that you don't think that you think is just as valuable as anything else that they could? Why wouldn't you do something else with your life? I'm doing this because I think it's the most important thing in the world. Why are they doing that? And then you realize, oh, it's because you want a captive audience and you can't get it any other way. Mm. And you can impose this stuff on people and they'll put up with it because they're nice. Uh, and yeah, so that, you know, there's, uh, I don't remember what my initial point was talking about the ELCA being larger than the LCMS, but those, even though those numbers are, are changing a bit, what? but, um, <laughs> oh, but, but I think my point was just simply that there are, uh, there are big pockets of the country where 
uh, the, the folks who were originally LCMS didn't settle. And so you kind of see that reflected, you know, it's, it's hard to build a big presence uh, when you haven't historically had any of that. But like in, in St. Louis area, so in Minnesota, you'd have two ELCA congregations for every one LCMS congregation. Here in St. Mm-hmm. Louis, it's the other way around because our headquarters are here and there were more of us that settled here. Well, as we were talking about Lutheranism from a high level view, like that demographics and stuff, that did make me wonder, is there a systematic theology of Lutheranism, a popular level one that was written by anybody yeah, that, so, that we could acquire and put on our shelves if we want to learn more about it? Yeah, the the best resource of all is the Book of Concord, um, which you can get. You can get it's uh, probably the the best version for a layman would be uh, the re, the Concord. It's I think the name is if you go to cph.org, it's Concordia, the Lutheran Confessions, uh, a reader's edition. So it's uh, basically the the Lutheran Confessions are a series of writings that that Lutherans wrote throughout over the course of basically two generations. Uh, so the first generation is kind of pr- mostly dealing with um, the split from Rome hmm. and it's uh, the Lutherans distinguishing and identifying their theolo- theological beliefs to the Roman Catholics, uh, to the Roman Catholic leaderships in particular to the Holy Roman Emperor Charles V. Uh, and so that's where you get stuff like the Augsburg Confession, which is 28 articles or statements of faith of the Lutherans saying, hey, uh, some of the stuff you've heard about us is accurate. Some of it's not. So here's us clearing up. Here's the stuff that we believe. Uh, and here's what we teach. And then the Roman Catholics responded with a document called the Confutation, which is they said, okay, here's what we agree with. Here's where you're wrong about stuff. And so then the Lutherans responded with the apology of the Augsburg Confession, apology in the original sense, meaning explanation mm-hmm. rather than groveling. Uh, and the explanation, so the apology of the Augsburg Confession was in quite a bit much longer and uh, went through a lot of detail. Here are the areas of disagreement we have. Here's why we believe the things that we believe. Here's where we find this in scriptures. In the scripture, uh, here's where you'll find these teachings amongst the church fathers, so because we want you to know that while scripture is our final authority, we're not teaching something that no one has ever taught before. We're not saying we're the first people to figure this out. And then, um, so that was, so you have the, uh, the Augsburg Confession, the Apology of the Augsburg Confession, you have Martin Luther's small and large catechism, you have uh, a document called the On the Power and Primacy of the Pope, written by Philip Melanchthon, uh, who was kind of an associate of Luther's, he's a bit more complex of a figure than that, um, but uh, for the short version, that's it. Uh, and then uh, a document Luther wrote called the Small Called Articles. Um, and then in the second generation, uh, where you had so basically what happened is you had the Peace of Augsburg signed. I forget the the year. Um, it was a couple decades after uh, kind of Luther's time. And the Peace of Augsburg said, all right, if you have a Lutheran prince, you can be Lutheran. If you have a Roman Catholic prince, you got to stay Catholic. And if you want to be one of the other things, then go move. But it didn't carve out a special spot for uh, the Reformed. And so you had this kind of this problem in Lutheranism of where you had Reformed theology coming in from some angles. And, be, and because they couldn't, sort of legally be reformed and it was easier to kind of they fit a little bit better obviously in uh in the lutheran camp uh you had a, a doc a doc a document called the uh, formula of concord which has kind of two different parts mm. of it uh that was written at that point to distinguish lutheran theology from uh, reformed mm. theology so uh so the reader's edition of the book of concord is really helpful because it gives a lot of historical context for what's going on a lot of notes on it um, and, uh, so yeah, that's really, I mean, that's the definitive text of being a Lutheran. I mean, there are obviously Lutherans, uh, Lutheran theologians and pastors who've written dogmatics textbooks, um, 
for example, a guy named Peeper, uh, who was the second, I think he was the second president of the Lutheran Church, Missouri Synod Seminary Professor, um, has a four volume thing. There's some okay. other guys that have, that have written stuff, but, um, but even that is still kind of more commentary on, on stuff and not as, as definitively authoritative as the, as the book of Concord is. Gotcha. Okay. Well, before the satire thing, I do want to ask you about this too. Your, your tweet heard around the world, uh, from, was it last year? The NFL score. Oh, yeah, explain yeah, that. Yeah. That was okay. wild. Well, it was just a joke. Uh, that became reality. It so, totally became reality. You were like famous overnight all of a sudden. Yeah, it was wild. Um, so I'm from Indianapolis. I'm an enormous Indianapolis Colts fan, which means I watched the games, which means I realized how awful they were fairly early on in the season last year and that they couldn't, they just, their offense was terrible and they couldn't score. And uh, so it was a Thursday night game. And so they were playing the Broncos who also were plagued with an anemic offense, especially at that point. And this is the only game that night, Thursday and night. And it was the only game that night. And so that morning, I, you know, it was around nine o'clock or so in the morning, I tweeted out something like, hey, guys, are you excited to watch the Colts beat the Broncos 12 to nine? The joke was four field goals to three field goals. Who wants to watch that? And that ended up being the final score of the game. <laughs> and the funny thing was I, was, I was helping out with a musical at my kid's high school. Uh, that night, so I wasn't really watching the game wow. a whole lot. Yeah, but lots of musicals in your life here, Hans. I just caught the end of it. Uh, yeah, but it wasn't Pippin, so okay. that was it was all right. It was a musical called Back to the '80s, so it was just a bunch of wow. '80s music. So that was perfect. That was fun. Uh, and uh, but I just so I caught you know I saw them then win the game in overtime with a field goal. And but the hilarious thing was is that Russell Wilson like drove them down, uh, and then they you know broke up a fourth down pass. Um, and, and so then I realized as soon as they didn't score, I went, oh, isn't that funny? I, uh, I guess this scored the game right. And then it just, yeah, ended up going viral and all over the place. And then I had people writing to me, ask, like treating me like I was some kind of, um, uh, fortune teller asking me to give them scores for other games that they could bet money on. And I was trying to explain to them, like, you don't have to be psychic to know that the, that the Colts were not going to score touchdowns. Yeah. Uh, or the Broncos, for that matter. So it was really just a matter of picking how many field goals did you think would be kicked in the game? Four, yeah, four field wow. goals to three field goals. You know, but was there were there any like celebrities who retweeted you during that? I time? have no idea. It, the most I saw it had somewhere around a over a hundred thousand likes. So I, it, things get to the point where you can't yeah you can't keep up with it. Um, so, uh, pr probably usually I think for something to go that big, it takes someone with a lot of visibility to mm -hmm. bring that around, but yeah, a lot, I mean, a lot of the sports sports, uh, tw Twitter accounts did, I'm sure. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. That was, that was so bizarre. It's like, Hey, that's the Lutheran satire guy. What's happening? Yeah. Right I know. Yeah. Well, uh, yeah. Lutheran satire has been around for a while. Um, I think I saw a video. I was just checking out your channel before we hopped on here 12 years ago. Or a little more, so um, yeah, uh, yeah. I think that's uh, yeah. I think I, I think I'm at 12 years now, maybe 13, something like that. I was supposed to. I started a video series where I was going to do 10 interview documentary videos for 10 as in honor of our 10th anniversary. And I'm only three. I've only done three of them so far. So I hopefully I'll finish the 10 for 10 in time for our 20th anniversary. Oh, perfect. Uh, well, it 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 is an amazing thing. You're kind of like the OG of Christian satire because that was before the B. Uh, it was, yeah. And um, 
in some ways kind of the OG of Christian YouTube because 13 years ago, YouTube there was wasn't a, a lot. World. Yeah. 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 There wasn't very much at all. And the, you're most famous, of course, uh, that I think almost everybody in doctrinally minded evangelical churches knows mm-hmm. is the uh, oh Patrick the right, Patrick's, bad, Patrick's analogies. bad analogies sure yeah um but I, I mean you could, you've got Frank the the hippie pope mm-hmm. you've got the Westboro Baptist chipmunks which I would like to see get some more love uh, that's mm-hmm. a that's a classic I don't know what happened Thank to you. that group the Westboro Baptist but it, yeah they kind of disappeared didn't they it's a little weird yeah they, did, they had the, a lot of visibility guy, for a while did the guy die or Fred Phelps was that his name yeah that was yeah that was his name uh-huh yeah I don't know maybe he did and then they just the ship went down. I, I don't know. But, yeah. uh, and, and I mentioned earlier, Tyler, the ex evangelical. I've always liked Thank that you. one too. Uh, that, that's a classic. Uh, the motto for Lutheran satire, at least used to be, was teaching the faith through making fun of stuff or by making fun of stuff. Um, still is, yeah. Okay. Well, opening question then is is sarcasm holy? Yeah. So, well, I would draw a distinction between sarcasm and satire. Okay. Well, uh, to, let's get to into start it. Start off. Uh, so sarcasm is uh, is oftentimes just a tool of disrespect and saying something that you don't mean as a way of uh, sort of uh, spitting words back at, at someone. So I, I tend to not be a terribly sarcastic person. Satire I see as something quite a bit different, which is using humor to hold something up uh, either to scorn or just to analysis, right? Mm-hmm. That you... Um, because humor allows you to get closer to things than than oftentimes straight criticism of, of something does. Um, you know, so it's it's kind of like you know when you're when you're a kid and the doctor's got to give you a shot and they got to kind of distract you. Like the doctor can't walk in with the you know with a needle like this and just sort of slowly start <laughs> aiming it at you. You know, as, as he's walking towards you, because um, people will freak out and then they don't they don't let you come near it. Um, but what I yeah what I found is that is that uh, satire and just kind of snark in general uh, is a sort of as a kind of rhetorical device for discussing ideas it is not only helpful but I would certainly argue that it's I don't it's not mandated but it's yeah. certainly used in the Bible uh, so you know there are a couple of really simple uh, examples of that um, in in Galatians, when Paul is dealing with uh, the Judaizers, right? So he's dealing with a, a group of enemies that have come in and they've said, ah, eh, Paul says he's an apostle. He's kind of, you know, like a JV guy sort of hanging around us, you know, but he's not really the guy. Uh, Paul's like, you know, like those Adam Sandler movies and those guys who are always in them, but you don't have any yeah. clue what their right. actual names are. Mm-hmm. So they're they're be- they're even below. There's like Adam Sandler, and then there's like Rob Schneider, you know, and Kevin yep. James, you know, and then they're the guys who are kind of in everything, and they're his buddies. But yeah, yeah, a couple of them that they even look alike. I, I don't know their names, right? Yeah, but yeah, they no, look a lot. Would have no no clue, and you don't really mm-hmm. see them in much of anything else. Uh, and you go. Uh, and you go, and they're kind of going like, you know, he's, Paul's one of those guys. He's an also ran and he's not really giving you the full picture, you know, yes, yes, yes. Faith is necessary, but still you got to become Jewish before you can become Christian. You got to be circumcised. You got to follow the dietary laws. And so Paul's uh, on fire with, with sanctified rage over the fact that they have been bewitched and had the gospel stolen out of their, out, out of their hands from these liars and deceivers. So there's a verse that's typically translated, I think it's translated in the ESV as I wish my opponents would emasculate themselves. Mm-hmm. 
Uh, and what that means is castrate themselves. Mm-hmm. And if you, when you look at it in the whole context of the chap of the of the book, what Paul is saying is these guys think cutting off a part of your manhood makes you so holy. Well, if you think that cutting off a part of your manhood makes you so holy, you should just go ahead and and cut the entire thing off. Right. So it's, you know, not to equate myself to St. Paul, but if I, you know, if, if there had been avenues for doing sketch, you know, kind of animated sketch comedy back in the day, you can sort of imagine Paul writing up a little skit, you know, where a couple of guys are are trying to outdo each other in terms of how holy they are by how many you know by how much of their body parts they've cut off yeah kind of like you know the monty python skit where they're talking about how difficult they had it growing up and it's you know they're all talking about how like they lived in a shoe box in the middle of the road you know and had to uh walk to school you know nine miles in the snow and every day their father would beat them to death and they Mm. were lucky Mm. you know um and uh, so that, you know, so that kind of thing. So it's a tool that Paul uses. It's one that uh, that Elijah uses in, when he's having his kind of sacrifice off with the prophets of Baal. And the prophets of Baal are wailing and crying out for their God who doesn't exist to listen to them. And Elijah doesn't say, well, he's not listening because he doesn't exist. He makes that point in a kind of um, poetic manner, in a sort of toilet poetry manner. Uh-huh. Uh, by saying, "Oh, maybe he's he's off uh, taking a deuce, and uh, he's too busy to to hear you. Uh, you should you know, kind of give him a chance to uh, to finish moving his bowels, and then he'll come back, uh, and maybe he'll answer your answer your prayers then." Um, you know, you, Jesus refers to the Pharisees as whitewashed tombs, right, and and refers to Herod as a fox, um, and and in a lot of ways even some of the parables are are rather satirical. Uh, I, th- I think one good example of that is uh, the, the stuff, some of the stuff surrounding the wedding feast and Jesus perceives how people are choosing seats of honor. Uh, and he tells them, you should take the lower seat because then that way, uh, when you get asked to move up, everyone will see you and and they'll rejoice in the glory that you're given. And it's an interesting thing because there's obviously a theological illustration there that as sinners, we come to God not saying, look how entitled to everything I am, Mm -hmm. but saying I'm a poor, miserable sinner who deserves nothing but your condemnation. And we get to participate in the joy of God saying, friend, move up higher, right? This is where you now belong because of the blood of my son. But in in that illustration, Jesus is mocking the Pharisees. He's, He's actually making a, using satire to make a point. Where his whole point is, you guys are so self-righteous, but you're not even, you're so consumed with being glorified before men, but you're not even good at it. If you wanted to be good at it, (laughs) if you were smart, what you would do is you would go take the lowly seat so that people will come to you and they go, no, 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 you don't belong here. You belong up at the seat of honor. And you go, oh, oh, me? Oh, my goodness. You know, it's like like an actress you know, who wins an Oscar and she's just like, oh gosh, guys, I, I can't believe this. I'm just a humble little girl from Indiana, mm. you know? And then the next week she's like beating a waitress, you know, with a baguette because she, mm-hmm. you know, because she put, uh, you know, the wrong kind of oat milk in her latte, you know? So it's, so it's, that it's, so there's a theological point, but there's also Jesus is saying, or, you know, or uh, kind of another example of that is um, the, uh, the whole bit about paying taxes to Caesar. So, and rendering unto Caesar the things that are Caesar's. So, 
the passage, you know, we are supposed to pay our taxes. Uh, and there are other bits of the scriptures that talk about that as well. But that's not, I don't think that's really actually the central point that Jesus is making there. The whole point is the coins at the time had an inscription of Tiberius Caesar saying Tiberius Caesar, the son of a god. So it was a habit of the Roman emperors to divinize themselves. So Augustus had done it. Tiberius would do it. Uh, you know, so it was kind of a way of hedging your bets for the afterlife is, you know, make sure that the guy after you declares you to be a god. And all right, well, if you're a faithful Jew, what is that coin? It's a graven image. You're carrying or so so when Jesus says, all right, hand me the coin, and he says, Whose inscription is this? Well, this isn't like saying, you know, this was minted, you know, by Tiberius's treasury and at such and such AD. They didn't have AD on their coins. That would have been cool if they did. Yeah. <laughs> they, they called <laughs> they would, it early. They, they would they they would be with <laughs> like like me yeah, predicting the score. Yeah, that would have been a better, uh, a more impressive prediction than yeah. me getting the score of a football True. game right. Was they're just going like I don't even know why we're saying this AD stuff, but something's happening, <laughs> um, right? But it's it was uh, it was the it was the blasphemous image and the blasphemous writing on the coin. Here is the image of Caesar Augustus or of Tiberius Caesar, the son of God. So the son of God, the actual son of God takes that coin and says, render unto Caesar the things that are Caesar's and to God the things that are God. So so the this group, these two groups come to Jesus, the Pharisees and the Herodians, because they figure, all right, well, we've got him either way. If Jesus says, don't pay your taxes to Caesar, he's illegitimate, then the Herodians will go to Herod and they'll go, this guy's a, he's a rabble rouser, he's an insurrectionist, kill him. And if Jesus says, no, 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 Caesar's authority is legitimate, so you, you need to pay him taxes because he's a legitimate ruler over you, then the Pharisees figure, well, that'll discredit him amongst the people, and then no one will listen to him anymore. So they figure they've got him either way. So Jesus's response is to say, well, here you guys are. You want to you come to me with your tricks, seeing if you can, you, you figure there's some level of impurity. I got to pick one impurity or the other here. You guys think you're so pure that this is going to work. Yet here you are walking around with a bunch of idols in your pockets and you guys are lovers of money. You want to fill your pockets with as many blasphemous mm. uh, inscriptions as you possibly can. So it's a, it's a satirical point that, that Jesus is making. And by making it in the fashion that he does, it allows him to actually get around the trap question and the trap issue and address the actual heart of the matter, which is you guys think you're righteous because you hate Caesar. You're worshiping Caesar by filling uh, your your pockets with his with his coins. So, I mean, I, I would even argue with Nathan and David. It's not really funny, but it's kind of effectively the same thing as satire, right? Where. You can't Nathan just tell the story about right. The, yeah. yeah, you can't go up to the king and be like, "So, uh, you deserve to die, right?" There, you need to, oftentimes rhetorically, you need to kind of soften people up and and get them to put their defenses down, so that you can come in for the quick kill hmm. rhetorically, so that then they go, "Oh, I can't. Oh gosh, I've already bought into this, and now I can't. I can't back." my way out of it you know so so day so nathan comes to him with the story oh, there's this guy who owned a lamb and it was the most precious thing in the world to him and someone else came and and killed it and and david goes oh whoever that guy is needs to 
die. And and Nathan goes, oh, you're the man. And David goes, oh, shoot. Mm-hmm. Right. Like, oh, you got mm-hmm. me there. So uh, so it's yeah, it's not a humorous thing, but it, it's it's functioning the same the same way as satire, which is you're not going to let me in from any other angle to discuss this issue. And for me, for me, for you to hear the truth that I've come to speak. So I'm going to approach it from this angle of humor so that on the one hand, because this is part of it, too, is that when you do do things through humor, like I just put out a video today. And I I don't perpetually read the YouTube comments, but I like to generally read the first, you know, just like first hour or two after the video has been put up. Yeah. Because those tend to be the people who are fans and, mm-hmm. and watch it. So I like to kind of, kind of get some sense for how they're perceiving things. And and I had a couple of people say, well, I just don't think this is very, it's a video on the debate between Luther and Zwingli on the Lord's Supper. Mm-hmm. And they said, well, I just don't think you're being fair to Zwingli. There's the way you're, you're presenting him as sort of a buffoon. And on the one hand, almost everything Zwingli says in the video is that it's obviously worded a bit differently to make it rhyme. But that's the substance of what he said at the Marburg colloquy. He, his objections to the real presence uh, of Christ in the sacrament are are pretty much pretty much there. There's some stuff I put in there that he didn't say, but it's kind of along the same lines, which is to sort of make the humor work. But it's 85 percent accurate. But the other thing is, well, yeah, it's of course I present him as a dope because I'm a Lutheran. <laughs> So it's not Zwinglian satire. It's right. It's not Zwinglian satire. Right. So, but part of it is is like I'm approaching it that way. First of all, because it's not funny. If it's like someone said, I think you should have had someone who holds Zwingli's theology and let him do it. And you're going, well, no. First of all, because I I don't. That's not what my channel is. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. Uh, So if other people want to, you know, like if if other people want to have a debate, you know, like I'm happy to talk with you, a Baptist, about stuff, but I'm I'm not going to have you write content for me. That's yeah. the, in the same way I'm not going to have you write sermons for me. Yep. It's not is not the thing. I am a um, lowercase b Baptist, if that makes any difference. That's fine, right? Yeah, no, it. <laughs> I mean, not in the it. Do, it does to a degree, not difference in degree, not difference in kind. There you uh, go. And right, but the other thing is, uh, well, I'm tr- I'm trying to make it entertaining, and it's not. And I've had videos where uh, I, Luther's typically the straight man. This is a thing people need to understand about comedy is that it doesn't work if you have two comics or two straight men. One has to be the comic, yeah. one has to be the straight well, man. And, and you even like bring that out explicitly in the uh, Luther arguing with the Anglicans video yes. with uh, L- Luther right. straight up says in the in the bit. I'm the straight man right. here. In the, right. Yeah. yeah. So, right. Luther doesn't have an accent. So, so in some, I have one video where Luther has an accent because he was the comic uh-huh. uh, and in large, but then um, because the thing about sketch comedy and the typical comedy thing that everyone kind of knows, but doesn't quite know that they know until they see it go wrong is that the, the, you need the straight man because you need someone to have the proper response to the insanity of yes. of the comic, yes. Like, um, Chris Farley is funnier because David Spade existed. Right, yeah. It, right, it wouldn't if you had a movie with two wild, over the top, uh, fat guys. Two guys doing fat guy in a little yeah. coat isn't funny. Mm-hmm. Um, you need someone to be the one who's going. This is why is this happening, right? So, and accents are funny, which is so why typically Luther, even though he's a German, doesn't have an accent in the videos because accents just naturally come across as this is the guy who's the one we're supposed to be laughing at for the most part. Sometimes in movies, British accents are to show that you're smart. 
Uh, there's a when the movie Amadeus came out in the 80s, one, there were some criticisms of they're like, I don't like the fact that all these actors have American accents just makes it sound weird and gauche. <laughs> and, uh, and, the, and the guy who made the movie is like, what do you think? Like, what you wouldn't find if a bunch of Austrians had British accents, mm-hmm. <laughs> a bunch right. of, you know, a bunch of 16th century Austrians have British accents. Okay. So uh, anyways, but um, yeah, there, that there's a kind of, um, but the thing, but part of it is I depict Zwingli as a buffoon because that's where the humor comes from. Uh, and, um, and so, but the humor allows you, it gets you past the fact, kind of the thing of, so if someone were to say, well, you, this isn't a hundred percent accurate of, of Zwingli's, uh, approach at the Marburg Colloquy, I'd say, well, that's not really what, if you want a hundred percent accurate, my things, my, what I'm doing is just not for you because, yeah. uh, you can, that's what books are for. You know, that's mm-hmm. what not funny stuff is for. What I'm trying to do is use humor to get generally to the area so that people know this is an interesting thing to discuss, that there's something to this, that this um, uh, that this is something I should have on my radar, whatever, whatever it might be. Right. So my, like my goal as a, as a Lutheran pastor is I want for non-Lutherans who see my stuff. My hope is they'll go, oh, I've never even really heard of Lutherans before. I wasn't really familiar with what they believe. Um, but this is interesting. This yeah. I haven't, you know, the, I haven't heard people kind of quite take this position on things before. Or, you know, th- there's always kind of been this thing I've wondered about that didn't quite work. And it seems like you guys have the answer that I didn't think anyone was saying. I thought I was alone in thinking this was, the you know, kind of the right answer to the thing. And then they, and then, and then they go, I should probably go check out the Lutheran churches in my area and, and see if this is, yeah. see if this is right. So that's, you know, that kind of what I hope for is my thing is never like, I'm not a scholar. Uh, I'm not a, I'm not a, never going to be a seminary professor. I don't have the intelligence or the attention span for it. Um, but my goal is I just want to use humor to kind of open the door to discuss things. I've had really great discussions with people that I don't agree with on any number of issues um, uh, th- through videos and stuff that I've done just simply because it, what it kind of like, for example, let me give an example, it can, kind of stick on the, on the Zwinglian issue. Um, one of the things that's sort of annoying about political debate is, or theological debate, political debate too, I suppose, kind of the same thing is, um, when you, you know, your stuff, mm. right? Like, um, so, you know, you're a small B Baptist. Um, so if we're going to argue about baptism and I know who you are and where you're coming from, I'm not going to make the five second soundbite arguments that you, I know you have probably already heard 50 million times in your life because all that does is it makes me look stupid because I apparently don't know what any, what, what is the first thing that everyone always says, you Mm -hmm. know? Um, and, uh, so, you know, like I, if you're a lady named Karen these days, poor thing. Right. And, and you're having a bad day and someone's like, Oh, is Karen having a Karen day? And you're like, Oh, wow. It's so you're so original with the thing, you know, yeah. you, you know, you're going, you, did you think for five seconds that maybe someone has said that to me before? So this is one, one of the things I lament in political debate or in theological debate is say, for an example, the issue of, of the Lord's supper. And 
And we go, all right, well, we Lutherans, we, we believe that the words of institution are meant to be taken literally. This is my body means this is my body. This is my blood means this is my blood. And I'll, I'll frequently have people say, oh, well, Jesus said I am the door. So do you think Jesus is a door? And my response to that now is pretty much is what do you think my response to that is? Because I'm happy to debate with you, but I kind of to figure out how I want to approach things at least from my own end. I want to know whether or not you've ever actually had a conversation mm. with someone about this because the because you launching into the lowest hanging fruit that everyone always grabs uh indicates to me you've never heard a response you never heard what i would say in response to that and um so for me a lot of a lot of the times what's helpful what at least i'm trying to accomplish with lutheran satire is you know, so if I were to do a video on that topic, so to answer that question, to answer, like, how would I respond to that? There are a number of things that I would say in response to that. First of which is uh, Jesus is literally, Jesus is not describing himself as a physical door. So he he does, is does mean is, or, you know, or I, or am does mean am there uh, in the sense that Jesus is, is describing. Uh, so it doesn't, he's not saying I represent a door, right? Um, if, so that's one distinction. The other is if uh, the the everything the context of everything is very different. So if Jesus had grabbed a door, a physical door made out of wood, and he said, "This door is me, and for the rest of time, I want Christians to gather together and open a door and walk through the door, and then close the door behind them, and and that door is me." If Jesus had said that, then yes, I would believe Jesus is a door. Um, so now when you when you kind of pick things apart like that, and then you go, okay, well then let's, I think this is getting us to like, what's the actual core issue here? Um, so we we both, uh, both Lutherans and Zwinglians or anyone who kind of holds to a you know, vaguely Protestantish view of the Lord's Supper, we both agree that there are plenty of times in which the Bible speaks metaphorically. The question is, how do you know Jesus is speaking metaphorically in the institution of the Lord's Supper? That to me is a, is a, is a that's a non-straw man argument because it's a straw man argument to say, oh, Lutherans don't apparently aren't uh, uh, familiar with the concept of metaphorical language. Well, of mm -hmm. course we are. The question is, how do you know it's, it's happening there? So that's there's obviously a, a healthy debate and discussion to have there. So for me, with Lutheran satire, what's helpful is to put out video a video where you're basically indicating to people, hey, if you want to talk about this, or if if you know if if you think you have a slam dunk argument, here's the very simple. I did it in you know two minutes and fifty nine seconds rebuttal of your point um, that shows that there's there's nothing to it. And it'll make you laugh a couple times along and the it'll, way. And it'll make you laugh and it'll make you hopefully realize also, I like you. And I, hmm. you know, I wouldn't, I wouldn't bother uh, picking at you if I didn't, if I didn't love you and didn't want you to know what I think is true. But then the other thing is this argument, that's always your first go-to to think you've won and no longer need to talk about the thing. It doesn't work. So let's actually talk about the thing that we're that we're talking about. Um, the video I think the probably best exemplifies this that I've done was the one uh, uh, called uh, "What About the Thief on the Cross?" I think is the name of it. Um, where I, I won't. It's one of the only jokes I have that sort of has a 
little twisty thing at the end. So I won't ruin the premise for people, but it was a video I made in response to as Lutherans, when we believe in baptismal regeneration, right? And one of the most common responses you'll get from people when we say we believe that baptism saves is what about the thief on the cross? He wasn't baptized. How can you say that baptism saves? Which I think is a very bad argument for a couple of reasons. Uh, And I talk about it in the video, go through it in the video a bit, but one of which is baptism wasn't instituted yet. So to me, that's like saying, well, Abraham wasn't saved, you know, or, or Adam wasn't saved or, or Moses wasn't saved. Um, the other thing is uh, that we don't say that baptism is the only means through which salvation can be received. So people can come to the faith and not have the opportunity to be baptized uh, and still receive what it is that baptism gives because baptism isn't the only way that God delivers his gifts of salvation. Um, so, but I made the video to just with the hopes that whenever that well, what about the thief on the cross thing people could just you know drop that in the comments and say that argument has already been addressed mm-hmm. so if we want to actually talk about our discussions stop appealing to relatively red herring kind of positions that don't really have anything to do with with the really the core issue and let's acknowledge that the that the thing that stymies 90% of the debates and prevents them from being fruitful. Uh, that thing has already been, that, is, that issue and that criticism has already been dealt with. So here it is, let's move on. You know, Or I, I have a couple of videos that I did in the last year or two um, for, with a couple of with puppets and just a brief little song. It's the, the very, two different versions of the I Don't Care song. And uh, so one of them is uh, the, like when people will say, uh oh man if uh jesus would never be on board with what you christians uh believe about lgbt stuff or whatever and you go all right well do you believe that jesus is god because what i found in my experience having these conversations with people is 99.9 percent of the time they don't and you go okay well then that's actually the thing we should be talking about there's no there's really not any benefit to talking about what jesus is going to think about gay marriage if you don't believe Jesus is divine and just think he's the vaguely misty figure from ancient history who Christians think they love, but really don't. And he would be so much more like you. And he's, it's just a, uh, it's just a spiritualized version of yourself. Yeah. If he has no authority, who cares what he says? Right. Yeah. So, um, so let's actually, so if we, if you want to bring up Jesus, cool, I'm always happy to talk about Jesus, but let's actually, get on the same page as to who he is because if we get on the same page as to who he is then we'll it's not hard to get on the same page about uh what he thinks about x y and z and then the other one is the thing where people say were of you know um jesus was you know so speaking about him in the past tense so oh man if uh, if, if jesus could see what christians are doing in his name uh you know he'd be rolling over in his grave and you go oh huh do you think Jesus is still in the grave? Yeah, oh, okay. Yeah, which grave now? Yeah. Right. Well, then if that's what you think, then that's actually the thing we need to be talking about. Mm-hmm. I don't, I, there's no, it's not that I don't care what you think about X, Y, and Z issues, but if you think Jesus is dead and is not the living reigning son of God, this is all entirely secondary yeah. stuff. And that's not going to get fixed until the main thing gets fixed. Well, g- going back to the overview you gave of a like biblical defense of satire in general, uh, would you say it's accurate to say that comedy, but maybe specifically satire, is 
of God, from God, a tool given to us by God, rather than you know us taking a tool of the world and using it back against the world. It's a, a God thing. Yeah, sure. I mean, I th- I think uh, there's a sense in which I would say everything belongs to Christians. Sure. Right. Yeah. So like there's um you know, anger belongs to Christians. It's, you know, uh, doesn't mean that most of our, most of the time when Christians have anger, that it's righteous anger, but it it exists as a category. Mm. Uh, and we obviously need to do the the hard work of, of identifying where it's rightly being used, but anger belongs to Christians. Uh, force belongs to Christians. Um, uh, humor belongs to Christians. Uh, music art belongs to like, you know, there's nothing that doesn't belong to us. Everything is ours. Uh, our our Lord rules over us. He, uh, Christ is our King, and He has and He has given us um, uh, the right to to live in his, under His domain by partaking of all of the gifts of of creation and of human expression. So yeah, so this is a big thing for me. Is um, what is I mean in the end, what is humor? I talk about this uh, a good bit. I've had a couple of conversations with my friend John Brandon, who's a stand up comedian. Some on my channel, some on his. And, you know, one of the things we've talked about is, well, humor overwhelmingly comes from perceiving disorder in the world. Things are funny because they're out of place, right? It's if a guy is walking and his pants fall down, that's funny because his pants are supposed to be up. Um, And, you know, if you see a huge six foot eight muscular guy and he has a tiny little baby voice, that's funny because that's not the thing, the way that things are supposed to be. And uh, so, so humor certainly belongs to Christians and it belongs to us more than it belongs to anybody else because, because we have the problem diagnosed correctly. We know, so the world vaguely hungers for Eden, but doesn't know what it is, doesn't know what actual peace and, healing would look like right so people are good at at noticing everything's out of place they're terrible at knowing how to put things back together (laughs) you know like like you know those early pictures like you've ever seen when people were when paleontology was kind of becoming its own thing and the early early years of it were rough they didn't really know what what bones belonged together and Uh what didn't you know and so you, they don't know how things go back together. Kind of like uh, Bernie Sanders, great at identifying problems, really right. terrible at coming sure, up with solutions. Sure, yeah, would be, be a great, yeah, a great example of that. Right, um, is that there are ob- obviously are plenty of problems in a, a uh, in a in a capitalist system, um, but it's the solutions to the problems that that you need to really figure out. There's, the, of course, there are problems with uh, income inequality, but. How, how are you actually going to fix that? So as Christians, we know the answers. And uh, and so, of course, we should, uh, th- these are, humor is not at all a tool of, of the world. Now, I, I will say that um, I think a lot of the, a lot of the times with um, satire, one of the challenges is, you know, like on the one hand, obviously, I, I'm not a, by any stretch of the imagination a postmodernist. Uh, and I don't don't subscribe to the notion of if you believe something is wrong for you, then it's wrong, right? There's an objective morality. There's objective yeah. right and wrong that exists outside of us. But there is a sense in which I'd say humor is a little bit like uh, physical exercise. 
where if something hurts and doesn't feel like it's working for you, figure out another exercise, right? You know, if, if, if you're, if you're doing some back rows and that's not, and that's not working for you, try something else. You don't have to do everything. So there are people who just have a kind of disposition where they know if I were to say that about someone, the only way I could say that is if it were coming from a place of anger Mm. or hatred or or bitterness Mm. in a way that that's just other people are wired differently. Yep. And I, I have, you know, it's come across a bit with Lutheran satire. Uh, a good amount, but it's on, it's not turned up to 11. I have a profoundly dark sense of humor, but I don't in any way, <laughs> shape or form think my, my, hum- my sense of humor is sinful. It's that I am more comfortable laughing at the absurdity of awful things that are out of joint. Right. And for me, laughing at something and weeping over something are sister emotions. They're not, mm. they're not enemies. Um, and for some people are just are, are wired that way. They, they can't, th- those two emotions can't get close for them. Yeah. And I don't think, and I don't think there's anything wrong with that one way or another. Just for me, I've had people, you know, who've said to me before, I just don't think this is uh, a helpful or, or a godly way to communicate. And, I, and my response has been, well, if, if, if I can, t- I totally agree that this for you may not be a way where you could do that in a in a positive and loving way. For me, it is. Yeah. A lot of it's a lot of it's being a guy. Um, you know, like that men show their affection by being mean to each other and mm-hmm. not meaning it. Uh, I got a buddy um, that I text all the time, and we text each other every day. Ninety percent of what we say to each other is just mean insults towards each other and you're saying i love you the whole time right and and the whole time it's this is how we show i would never in a million years ever do that to anyone that i didn't love very dearly so so that's kind of part of it too and and it it gets into the whatever's not done from faith is sin uh kind of matters of opinion where if if a person can't watch your videos and have faith the whole time and have a profound sense of i'm joining god in his work then Maybe those videos just aren't for that person. Right. Yeah. Yeah. So I, I think we can, on the one hand, reject sort of the you know moral rel- relativism. And on the other hand, also affirm people are just wired differently. Yeah. And and there's some things that feel a bit uncomfortable for folks that, that are not um, a- accomplishing uh, evil things or coming from, from an evil place. So, and I, and I think the scriptures do that often. Um, I mean, if you you know you can just read the read the scriptures the the hebrews the israelites are uh they have a different way of communicating than first than 21st century americans do i was actually thinking about this the other day because i was reading through you know the law of moses and they had pretty tight restrictions on how on physical violence and there were very severe punishments for um striking people and interestingly i think what that actually show and what that actually ended up yielding was a culture where they were much more combative with their excuse me with their language mm. because uh fighting words because there was because there was less permissible violence you just kind of learned to deal with like this person's getting a little bit you know in your face i mean you even see this with jesus right in the road to emmaus 
And then, you know, he comes up and sort of pretends like he doesn't know what's going on, you know, yeah. and the two and right. two disciples tell him what's going on. And they go, oh, that's all this stuff. This stuff happened. And we thought, we thought he was going to be the guy. It was going to be great. And then and he gets crucified. And suddenly we got these ladies telling us he rose from the dead. It's weird. And Jesus basically goes, well, haven't you dummies read this, read the scriptures? You know, and it's it's a much uh, testier mm-hmm. exchange, but that's just the way that they spoke. Yeah, it, a lot of times it just comes across very curt. Right. Yeah, and I wouldn't, I wouldn't, you know, I wouldn't respond to people with that level of of curtness. But a lot of that's because I, of the culture that I grew up in, and saying something like that to someone, there are ways I can joke around with people, mm-hmm. but having debate that way with people i would would that would feel like it was coming from a place of anger for me so i wouldn't yeah. want to do it you're very familiar with midwest nice i'm very familiar with yeah that's that's my life those those are my people and yeah. and i've rebelled against it to a certain degree but there's so many ways in which i i am uh i always want to seek to be an unfailingly uh polite person mm-hmm. what does your church think of the channel well i uh you know, the odd thing is I don't talk with people about it a lot. So when I was in Illinois, I used to show my videos uh, in church, not in, in services, but during the Bible class hour before yeah. I would put them up on YouTube. I thought there was a nice way of kind of being like, hey, you guys get the, you know, the exclusive debut yeah. thing. I eventually stopped doing it in large part because there was just a generational divide. You know, you churches, you have older folks and they don't get they don't get the references to a lot of the stuff. And it's, and for a lot of them, it's just not a, a form of, of humor that they get. I, <laughs> I, then the, uh, Patrick's bad analogies video. I, I show that at the, um, at the conclusion of one of my lessons on the Trinity in my systematic theology course. Mm. And, uh, yeah, the, the, I'm going to stab you in the face line. Doesn't right. really get a lot of laughs, uh, in the, right. the, the Voltron transformers. Yeah, they do. Right. So it was that same kind right, of right thing. Right over the where, head. Yeah. So they don't get, and the weird, but the weird thing is, is that they get the concept of over the top stuff. Like, they, you know, they love, I love Lucy, you know, and she's shoving the chocolates, you know, and the thing in yeah. her mouth. But, um, but yeah, that, the, 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 I'm going to stab you in the face line is a great example of how just some people aren't wired for it. Because mm-hmm. I've had people say like, he, that's not an appropriate thing for people to be saying. And I go, I know that like, that's the joke. <laughs> that's why people are in the room are do laughing. You, do you think <laughs> that I think that's an appropriate thing to say to someone? That's the that's the yeah. whole point of, uh-huh. of, you know, of, of the thing is that this is too too far and part of it's just yeah. the comedic element of like this thing and then that thing and oh gosh this went you know uh the the comedy of escalation is uh is obviously a thing so part of it's a, a generational thing the other thing was is that um i also don't really show them in class anymore because when you make them it's a little bit like asking someone to sit down and listen to a song that you just wrote. Yes. And, and yeah. I really don't like that feeling of making someone have to be a captive audience. Mm-hmm. And then, and then they putting them in the position where they have to either make you angry by going, I don't get what that was, or just kind of, mm-hmm. you know, I, or they 1000% really agree. Like, like uh, so yeah, when I'll, someone's so, like, you, you got to listen to this song. Is there anything more awkward in the world than you got to listen to the song? And then the person actually pulls right. it up and you oh, just, gosh, you just sit there. <laughs> and then, and then it's the worst, <laughs> right. And they're a different human being with different experiences. So they yeah. thus 
they therefore respond differently to different uh-huh, expressions uh-huh. of stuff. And and then they they want you to like it so bad, and then you have to go, oh yeah, it was nice. That's interesting. Yeah, yeah. And then they're mad at you for not having had the same breakup when they were seventeen that <laughs> fundamentally changed. Like you know, you're going, I don't, you know. <clears throat> so that's that's kind of part of it. Um, but I know I know I have people who in the congregation who love the videos and uh, and are are fans of it, and so that's that's very nice. <laughs> Um, but it's, um, and there, there may be occasional times when I'll use them, uh, for, you know, in, in classes that I'm just doing with youth and stuff like that. The youth tend to, they don't always get the, a lot of the culture references, but they at least kind of get the, they get the rhythm of it, mm. uh, more so than, and the concept of it more so than the, uh, than people of a different generation, the older generations often do. What's next for the channel? Just going to keep going perpetually? Well, um, yeah, I mean, I kind of have some wider plans for some more projects I'd like to do uh, that I'll kind of keep close to the, is it close to the vest? Yeah. Close to the chest. Yeah, close close to the the vest. vest. Yeah, I think it's a reference to uh, poker, the vest that. Uh, That would make sense. Mm -hmm. But your vest is also on your chest. So it really could be both. Um, English. Yeah. So, um uh, so, but I have uh, one of the nice things has been. I know people have various views on uh, the on AI stuff. Uh, I have started using uh, Midjourney, which is a, an AI image generation mm-hmm. software. Uh, that I, I have a bit more of a nuanced view of this stuff. I suppose uh, I don't think it's the end of the world. It's also not AI. That's the at least the thing I'm using isn't. Uh, there's a difference between creating software that looks at images and and you teach it. Here's how you teach it. You tell it. Here's how you teach yourself to recognize parts of faces and things that are associated with these keywords and whatnot. And then you recreate it. There's a difference between that and actual artificial intelligence. Uh, but I'm I'm hoping to be a bit more productive with that than I have been uh, for a while. In large part because I had about six scripts that I've mm-hmm. written. Uh, that I just haven't done anything with that I've, uh, we haven't done anything with for years because they're too complicated uh, for me to do with the kind of simple animation I've done. It would be too expensive for me to farm that out to someone to mm-hmm. do more complicated animation. And um, uh, and there's another reason in there that I forgot. Um, so uh, just a, but a time consuming yeah. process. Oh, and they were. And it's a little bit too difficult to do things live action. You can uh, voiceover covers a multitude of sins. Yeah. Uh, The largest one being not being able to act. Anybody can act if you're just doing voice acting. Uh Um, So, uh, so that's, so I have several scripts that I've been, that I really like. And I think people will like uh, that. It's just taken a while, but the great, yeah, the great thing about uh, mid journey is I just go in, type stuff in, 30 seconds you know it'll generate an image and sometimes you got to kind of fine-tune things but so there's a whole host of of videos i've got uh hopefully coming out in the next few months or so that um uh that have been kind of waiting for a while so i'm looking forward to that Uh, i've got some bigger large part of the charm of lutheran satire is the like dorky cartoonishness of it right you're not going to lose that are you no 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 it's yeah uh so yeah the the cheap appeal of yeah. things is uh it, it, i recognize is definitely part of part of the thing and so that i recognize but a lot of it is just um you know i don't you know i don't mind asking someone to dr- do a couple drawings for me you know and paying them a little bit when i can because we don't 
it's a, it's own nonprofit. We don't make a ton of money. Um, but, uh, but you know, if you're actually outsourcing real animation stuff, it's really expensive. You know, I could easily right. blow through our entire bank account just for one video. Um, and, uh, so yeah, it's, I, it's never going to be, uh, it's never going to look great. <laughs> it's never going to be something that you wouldn't immediately know was done on a very tight budget. Good. Um, so it'll always have that appeal. Uh, I, and I very much like the kind of, um, when I can get to it, you know, type of thing. You know, the frustrating thing, I love my fans, but they're annoying people. And one of the things they do that's annoying is, all right, so I put out a video today, and my last video was not long ago. My last video was Easter. Right? This was like a month and a half ago, something like that. Okay. And and I get these comments from people who go, oh, Finally, another Lutheran satire. Like, look, I've gone six months between videos before. This was like this was like fifty days. Uh, so if I don't get any credit for for the for trimming down the distance between videos from five week from you know nine months to five weeks, if no one notices the difference between those two things, I don't know what to tell you, people. Uh, there's no incentive for me to be. Uh, you know, I could if I could put out two videos tomorrow, and then one video on Tuesday. People will be like, "Oh, finally!" So yeah. you know, that's it. Yeah. Well, I mean, I'm sure people think you just roll out of bed and make one, and that's all it takes. It, well, the, well, part of the problem is that when I originally started doing it, I was just I was using a software that I've forgotten the name of uh, that was talk to uh, text to talk or whatever they call that, and it was right. these, these pre-existing robotic voices, very limited uh, 3D characters with robo voices. It kind of looked like a bad version of The Sims or something, right? Yeah, the and um, and you could make that work if you wrote in a certain way where it was funny for them to kind of deadpan delivery mm -hmm. things, right? So if you have them saying anything that sounds funny coming out of a, a robotic voice, that was kind of, but it was very very pigeonholy. Mm. And very limiting. So you could really only kind of do one kind of humor. Um, but the upside was I could make a video in an hour. Now, the video I put out today, I probably spent 90 hours on that. Uh, it's a six-minute video. It took me 90 <sighs> hours. Now, that was in large part because it's a music video. And that takes a long time mm. because mixing dialogue is easy. Mixing music is... really If you don't know the science behind it, it's a very tedious art. And I'm very amateurish at it. But the, there are you know, people who get paid a lot of money. to The music that you listen to sounds good because someone got... Because very well-trained people spent a lot of time on it. Hmm. so um so that you know so it's a very time consuming thing and i you know i've got a, a decent sized congregation you know we have about a little over 100 on a weekend you know and i'm so i've got folks i need to visit bible studies i need to do and things of that nature so it, it's way more time consuming than it than it used to be now granted with the mid-journey stuff that's making it a lot easier but it still is anything with music is going to uh, going to take a long time. The ones that are just talking, a Donald McConnell video. Uh, if I once I've written the script, that's the trick. Oftentimes the tricky part. But once the script is written, if it's a four minute video, I can probably bang that out in uh, four or five hours. Okay. Um, if I'm being really efficient. And don't run into any problems, but, but Donald um, and Connell, the uh, the Irish poor Irish they don't, guys, yeah, because they don't they don't move and they don't blink. 
<laughs> but, um, so, th but those are your most popular videos, I think, right? I, yeah. I, I sorted your channel by popularity. And well, yeah, and I yeah, I've done I've done the most of those. And yeah, I think they're probably the most popular characters. I like them. I don't know that they're my favorite. Uh Horace is a really fun character to play and write. Um and uh and I did like the version of Zwingli that I put out. I just like the idea of having like a very ADD goofball who just randomly inserts uh, absurd things into the middle of and i like the idea that i liked having a character where i could screw up the dialogue that i wrote for myself but it actually mm -hmm. kind of works um uh, so that was fun what, um, what, what would zwingli think of being like make being a crazy guy who makes cameos on this fictional lutheran satire digital channel that reaches people around the world i mean that, well, that's just so crazy to think about it is yeah it's rather wild he was a bit it was a bit nutty. Uh, so I, I didn't include this in, um, in the video. I mean, I ended up cutting it out because it was, it ended up being too long. So I'll release it as a, as a deleted scene, but there was a, there was a bit, an actual thing where Zwingli, uh, argued that he, so he held his position on the Lord's supper in part because he believed he had a dream where God essentially gave this interpretation to him based on a very spurious reading of of uh exodus i think it's 2011 mm. so that that'll be coming out soon so zwingli was an odd guy so who knows uh what he would uh think about that he, he said some pretty eyebrow raising stuff when he was formulating his view on baptism too about how he yeah. was departing from all the professors uh yeah. who have ever been in the yeah Christian i mean religion. he was yeah he was a kind it was a kind of um you know, youthful masculine zeal can be a great blessing to the church, but it can also be profoundly destructive if it's not channeled uh, properly. He, he was the so, Mark Driscoll of the Reformation. There we said it. <laughs> that's that is a it's a great way of uh, of, of putting it. Yes. So um, uh, so nevertheless, yeah. So there, um, I there's been a lot of uh, I, so I'm hoping to make more videos um, and. And I do think as more technology becomes available, it always makes things a bit more uh, a bit more efficient. Um, so I, there's there's a lot of stuff in the works. Okay, good, awesome. Well, thanks so much for uh, taking so much time joining me sure, today, yeah. having a fun conversation. It was good yeah. to get to know you. Yeah, God bless you in your in your ministry, and um, uh, and one day we'll see if we can make a Lutheran out of you. Oh, you know, I'd say never say never, but I say never saying everyone so things all the time so uh -huh. but that's yeah. the joy of being a lutheran I'll, uh, I'll give this a strong probably not but <laughs> but i do i do very much appreciate lutheranism for sure and uh, and well, i, I have uh, a lot of a lot of commonality doctrinally with some sure. issues like i'm i'm not a limited atonement guy and yeah. uh the the articulation from the lutheran side about the law makes a lot more sense to me than the traditional reform position so mm. Yeah, you know, what, one of the interesting things is that it tends to be once, um, for me, in theological debate, what's always really interesting is figuring out what is the the core issue for people, even if it's not necessarily in the same as their theological tradition of what's the thing that's holding everything together. Yeah. Um, and uh, so what's really interesting for me is seeing, I've known people who've become Lutherans who uh they go well i didn't have a problem with this that this or that necessarily it was this thing over here and then once that thing became clear to them it was like mm -hmm. it was like dominoes all falling down and every everything oh okay this makes sense here and that makes sense there so like i uh, just to quickly give a, a good example of this 
um, this is, I think, a lot of times why with Calvinists, even though Luther, uh, I'm fairly convinced this. I had a friend, had a friend who's a Reformed Baptist, tell me this that he thinks the Reformed Baptists are actually closer on to each other on uh, in, on baptismal regeneration than the Reformed are, or the, on infant baptism than the Reformed, because the typically what the Reformed Baptists are objecting to is the Calvinists or the Reformed pretty much saying the more kind of Presbyterian reform yeah. saying, um, no, 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 the, the parent, the child is being baptized sort of in on a behalf or, you know, being welcomed in because the parents are Christians, right. but the child doesn't have faith and they're going, well, hold on. You, baptism is of no avail to you if it doesn't have faith. And they're going, oh, well, it kind of is. It's like the faith you of know? the parents, uh, by right. By, by, not really by proxy. I can't remember yeah. the exact articulation, but re representative or whatever. And, he, and even that is not super consistent in you know kind of Presbyterian yeah. history. Um, but so the point was, he and I were actually united on. Oh, you got to actually believe for for mm -hmm. baptism to benefit you. Where we disagreed was whether or not an infant could believe. Um, but even we weren't as far apart on that as as right. a lot of Baptists might be. Um, and but so yeah the interest and I think for the Calvinists uh, so the the kind of what I would say is sort of odd or kind of inconsistent views they have on the sacraments so like yes baptize babies you know the kind of more in the Presbyterian camp yes baptize babies but they don't necessarily have to believe and yes baptism saves but it may not save you in that moment mm -hmm. and you know uh, sort of a delayed onset uh, type of thing mm -hmm. and for me I think the issue is ultimately it's the sovereignty of God everything sort of goes back to that because if God is sovereign, then the limited atonement has to be the case because yeah. God won't, can't be sovereign if he wants people to inherit eternal life and they don't. And then, all right. So if God is sovereign and the limited atonement has to be the case, well then bapt, it's not that God can't save you through baptism, but baptism can only save you if you're among the elect. And there are plenty of people that we know are baptized as kids and then and then aren't yes. Christians when they die. So baptism couldn't have saved them. So arguing about baptismal regeneration is kind of a fool's errand at that point, because they've got this thing, they're trying to maintain consistency with this mm -hmm. thing up here. And it's not really until you get up to that issue that everything else, mm -hmm. you know, essentially falls into place. So that to me is, is one of the reasons I do what I do. And it's also just why I like talking theology with people, because mm -hmm. I like to figure out what's actually the core issue that is behind every difference that we have because we can try and argue about the kind of needles on the on the tree on the branches but it's the trunk you know the trunk mm -hmm. issue that we're really trying to kind of get at which for me is typically hermeneutics i we spend a lot mm -hmm. of time talking hermeneutics and bible interpretation are are you premillennial no a millennial what what's is there a general consensus within Lutheranism? Or? Yeah, it's, yes, yeah, yeah. So yeah, it's an a, a millennial, uh, huh. a millennialism would would be our. I mean, I don't. Again, I'll preface this by saying we're kind of out of the loop with how so many people in the general Protestant world refer to this. That I think most of the time, I I feel like I know what the term means, and then I'll be talking to someone, they go, "What's your position on this?" And I go, "This thing here," uh -huh. and then they go, "Whoa, like uh, like the like cessationism." Right. Yeah. So um, I thought I knew what that term meant. 
Um, and then I'm talking to people, and they're like, "Wait, so you don't believe miracles happen anymore?" Right, and I go, "Hold on, yeah. wait, that, is that what that means?" I that just is thought, a particularly hairy issue, yeah. Right, yeah. Like I just, I thought my position is that the tongues come from the gift of tongues comes from the laying on of the apostles' hands. That that's how you get it. That the purpose of the tongues has ceased, so therefore tongues have ceased. My position is not that miracles don't happen, or that God cannot in as sort of you know a kind of an isolated incident mm-hmm. give you know someone the thing uh but um so i thought i knew what cessationism was and then i was like all right i'm going to stop using terms that my people didn't invent yes <laughs> so right. so that i don't end up on the wrong you know on the wrong side i had someone ask me about federal federal vision a while ago and i and i was just like i'm not uh, some of that sounds like it's all right some of it sounds like it's bad to me i don't really know this is not mm-hmm. really in our circles so yeah, but but yeah, in terms of eschatology, yeah, our, our the official position of the uh, of, of the Lutheran Confessions is the re- rejection of the idea of uh, of the Jewish of a Jewish millennium, uh, essentially, and uh, and so we yeah we believe that Christ is uh, it, that we're living in the last days and that Christ is reigning on His throne now. So that the thousand years is a um, is a metaphorical. Thousand years. That's what one of the areas in which we've always gotten a kick out of uh, our theological debates is is having the same group of people tell us, no, 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 like when uh, the thousand years is literal and this aspect is literal and that aspect is literal because this means this and that means that mm-hmm. and that means that you know church means church it doesn't ever mean Israel and Israel only only means Israel doesn't ever mean church, but then when it comes to the words of institution, uh, is is doesn't mean is, uh, so. Um, uh, so it's kind of oh, a the institution from, of the Lord's Supper. This is yeah, my the institution body. Yeah. of the Lord's Supper. Yeah, uh-huh. right. Suddenly, yeah, very comfortable with metaphors there, but uh, but not with um, you know in, in other eschatological aspects. So, but yeah, so we we would be in the as I've commonly heard heard the terms used. Yeah. My understanding of the terms, we would be in the a millennialism. Yeah. You're not awaiting a future uh, physical kingdom of Jesus no, on the face correct. of the earth, where yes. he we, be- we believe that reigns that- from Jerusalem with the rod correct. of iron. Okay, correct. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Interesting. Very good. Well, uh, maybe one day we'll go more in depth into theology, but sure. uh, for today, man, thanks for so much for your time and for exploring these topics with me. Hey, my pleasure. Anytime.